April 21st from now till 5 p.m., the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, the Kuskokum River Intertribal Fish Commission, and Alaska Department of Fish and Game are hosting their second annual Kuskokum River Listening Session right here on KYUK 640 AM. You can call in with questions or what you think about the upcoming salmon season from 1, from 1 to 5 p.m. Hwani Hwayak Nikatachtut Nakmakalachit one clog mak five clogmun. US Fish and Wildlife Service, Casco River Intertribal Fish Commission, Jolly Alaska Department of Fish and Gameanik Gingunalik Gingunalgit Mantut. Abutunk Govit Gutikatkan Hwasu Kanari Govit Nakitungit nun kaya kayagarigoutin hwasu email gluten hwani hwasam. Twenty <laughs> Jai Hunaita Luki, Aran Kalarot Kakata Raita, um, Ugunk Tashi Manik Ilalo, um, Hokan ADFG, uh, Fish and Wildlife Panic Luking Unreluting State and Federal, um, Pilrenka, um, Ilankto, introduce out Stratarenka, um, Hokan. Maybe starting from you, introduce yourself, who you are, where you're from, your little bit of parent background. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Shelley Wade, and I'm a principal owner of Agnew Beck Consulting, and I'm very honored to be here and helping to coordinate today's meeting. Um, I live and work on the land of the Denina, um, but I was raised in Fairbanks in the interior in North Pole, Alaska. And my parents are both from the lower 48, so I came here as a small kid and lived in, on Fort Wainwright. My dad was in the Army. So um, I've been doing this work for um, over 20 years now and very excited to be here for our second annual Kuskokwim River Listening Session. Thank you. Hey, and you? Good afternoon. Hi, I'm Kevin Whitworth. Speak into, speak into the mic. Okay, can you hear me okay now? Yes. Good afternoon, Kevin Whitworth. I am the interim uh, executive director for the Kuskokwim River Intertribal Fish Commission uh, from McGrath. I grew up in McGrath, spent uh, most of my life there until I graduated high school and went off to college. Um, worked with Fish and Wildlife Service for 10 years or so, moved around the state, worked here in Bethel back when Mike Reardon used to work here, uh, worked in Selawick Refuge. Uh, Togiak or Tetlin Refuge and Alaska Maritime Refuge as well, and uh, uh, worked with uh, Inoko National Wildlife Refuge as a deputy refuge manager when I um, back in when I re retired, I guess with the Fish and Wildlife Service. I'm too young to retire, but anyhow, I am here with the Fish Commission and uh, happy to be here. My mom and dad are from McGrath area. My mom on the, my mother, she is from originally she's from Holy Cross. And uh, she grew up in Holy Cross and moved to McGrath in the 60s. And she's been, uh, the family's been on the Kuskokwim since then. And um, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, Mike? 
Yeah, we Mike Williams along a cockchuck a kermak king on Kato. When he Cuscomer Intertribal Fish Commission, Nani Julie Kakta Chairman Nagulo, Jali, when a Kwani Cuscomer Intertribal Fish Commission, Napachtum to Igayung Hogut. U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service Tamatumka <laughs> Nagnachput <laughs> Good to see you again. Yeah. Uh, my name is Boyd Blahubdi. I'm the refuge manager at Yukon Delta National Wildlife Refuge, but um, I consider myself a, a guest here in Bethel. Been living here for two years, but I'm still getting to know the area and getting to know the people. And um, I've just been really happy to live and work here with um, my family moving from South Texas, my wife. She's the um, natural resource director for ONC. Um, she took that job recently. And my kids have been going to school here in elementary school and have been loving loving it and um so uh more than than just about fish management this is about life and about living in the community and um working together with intertribal fish commission and others and so that's why we're here today i'm just really happy to be here and i, I really hope to listen and hear people's concerns and their ideas and uh, that's the whole goal for me today so thanks chris yeah, we are Sam. Huinga Christopher Tulkogo, Yuchtinsu Maklarola, Mani Mamtrishmi Yuchtshunga, Tomkanani Kaluyanian, Anglishunga, Nichtmi, Nichtmiko. Doisu, um, Maguta Refuge Information Technician at Zilkat Katna, Lead Refuge Information Technician, when you can Delta National Wildlife Refuge Army. Mana RIT program nineteen eighty four 
Welcome, Mahaluji, everybody, to KYUK 640 AM. The call-in numbers are 907-543-5985-907-543-2756-1800-9958-954-radio-at-kyuk.org-radio-at-kyuk.org-radio-at-kyuk.org-radio-at-kyuk.org-radio-at-kyuk.org-radio-at-kyuk.org-radio-at-k
For every five to seven years, we have another caller online. Um, caller, good afternoon. Hi, Sam. Hey, hello, Tim. Uh, yeah, Tim Moga. This is Tim Edder from Bethel. Um, <clears throat> and a great line of people there that you have on the show, and I'm glad that this show is proceeding. Uh, give us a perspective of what's happening this summer. Uh, we've already heard that it's been a, it's going to be another low return for Chinook and Chum Salmon. And there's a couple of things that I'd like to bring up. Um, one is uh, one is about um, the Yukon River. The other is about the uh, about the possible science issues that we may have on the Custer River. But uh, the Yukon River was in a similar situation for a number of years. Now they have absolutely no fish. There is no opportunity from the mouth to into Canada, Teslin, uh, Teslin Lake, because of extremely low returns. Um, <clears throat> and we've been at this since 1996. It's been t- over 25 years since we've been in a conservation mode and we have nothing definitive as far as scientists you know what what is what is that exactly the problem um and at some point uh it would be great to determine what exactly is happening um you know we have uh science scientists from the NOAA fisheries indicating that the trawl fishery is not is not uh, uh, not to point our finger at, um, and they keep saying that uh, it's possibly the internal river systems or uh, <clears throat> or possibly overfishing or whatever whatever it may be. Um, but I, you know, there's some things on my mind that uh, that that I can think of that would be possible causes. Uh, one, relying on poor data. Um, number two, possibly um, interpreting the data um, that is not not correct, uh, and um, and possibly the uh, escapement quality. You know, for a number of years, we've seen small salmon coming up the river, lots of jacks, 
both on the Yukon River and the Cuscoon River. We've seen a lot of jacks come in and a lot of jacks that are being counted at the escapement, escapement projects. Um, <clears throat> if we don't improve the quality of escapement and the uh, biological escapement goals and sustainable escapement goals and whatnot are, um, <clears throat> are being, the numbers are being utilized to establish it, uh, making escapement, you know, if we have a poor quality of um, escapement, then we're going to have poor returns in the future. And I think that's probably a big um, cause of what exactly is happening on the Yukon Custom Rivers. I just don't want to see anything like the Yukon River uh, situation occur on the Custom where there's uh, a crash of all species and uh, absolutely no subsistence fishing opportunity. It's so important for the subsistence fishermen on the, on the Custom River. And uh, <clears throat> this anomaly appears to be happening north of the Kanehtok River. Uh, both the Yukon Cuscoe Rivers, uh, the Unalakleet, and um, and within the Nome River, river system. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, something is terribly wrong as far as the sciences. And uh, it would be nice to get uh, somebody to take a look at the overall sciences, uh, somebody that's not uh, not with the Department of Fish, Fish and Game or Fish and Wildlife Service, but somebody independent, perhaps a team, a uh, team of university people to look at uh, our escapement gold policies, quality of escapement, et cetera. Uh, but it's been too long. It's been 25 years plus with no answers, no definitive answers. Uh, but that's my concern. Just hope that we never crash to the point where there's no opportunity for for the people. And um, I look forward to listening to the responses of the people, or responses of the people there at the station. Thank you. E, uh, anybody want to go at it? Uh, one of <laughs> one of you guys uh, have. Well, I think. Kevin Whitworth with the Intertribal Fish Commission was going to make a statement that I agree with um, um, some stuff that's, that's coming up and it's going on, but I appreciate Tim because he, um, I remember last year he, uh, during Fish Talk, he, he called almost every week and always brings up really good points, and I don't disagree with anything that, that he raised, and um, I'm sure Nick could address maybe some of the science stuff, but um, you know, I'll just let Kevin speak up. Kevin? Thank you. Uh, thank you, Tim. That You brought up a lot of uh, different points there, very good points. Um, I'll just touch on a couple of them. Um, one thing that you had brought up is looking at the overall science and having a team look at this, an independent team. And one thing that we, uh, Fish and Wildlife Service uh, are, and the Fish Commission, um, others are involved with is this management strategy evaluation. We're looking to have a meeting here real soon, a public meeting, and getting at exactly what you're talking about, looking at the science, looking at the management, um, how, how has this affect the people, and how can it, um, are there ways we can improve on the, the science, are there ways we can improve on the management? Um, so this is something that will be coming up real soon, and it's going to be, uh, we'll reach out to people to try to get involved, and I would encourage you, Tim, to get involved if you'd like. One other thing um, you had brought up is um, this poor poor data, interpretation of the data, escapement quality. 
one thing that the Fish Commission, at working with Fish and Wildlife Service um, during in season, is we have to keep uh, that's forefront in our mind as far as uh, interpreting the data because we don't have a so we're in a da data limited system here on the Cuscom River, as you know, very little data points that we have that can tell us what how the run is going to come in, how the run is looking in season. And so we have to take a precautionary approach. That's what I wanted to get at is just especially early season, we have to take a precautionary approach because we don't have very good data. Um, and that data could, like you said, the forecast, um, it could be 100,000 uh, fish off plus or minus. We've seen that and more recently it's been doing okay. But um, there is some issues there uh, like you brought up. Escapement quality. This is something, um, especially on the Chinook salmon, maybe not, I don't know about chum or sockeye, but escapement quality, the fish are get coming back smaller. And this is something that we've heard from scientists from New Zealand all the way through the west coast of the United States. The Chinook salmon are coming back smaller. So this is a issue uh, almost everywhere where Chinook salmon are found. And we're not really sure what's going on there. It could be, there's a bunch of diff different interpretations. There could be from hatchery, fish being put out into the oceans, um, global warming is, is a topic. Um, there's a lot of different things that could be taking place there. Uh, maybe it was uh, mismanagement in the earlier years. Um, I'll just leave it at that. Boyd, do you want to add, or, or Nick? I, I'll let Nick chime in if, if he wants. Yeah, yeah I can add a few comments. Um, I really appreciate Tim calling in and, and, and giving your perspective. And uh, Kevin uh, touched on a lot of things, so I won't kind of repeat anything, but I guess for from, from speaking on my behalf, and I probably could speak for Boyd too, that, um, you know, the, the Cutsman data, um, we're really open to, to talking about that information anytime, especially in season when it's fresh in everybody's mind. I, I know I have an open door policy. Um, that we can sit down and, and talk some stuff and talk about the warts and pimples. Um, but yeah, you definitely bring up a lot of good points. And I know there's a, a lot of different with fishing game and fishing log service among other places that are with the universities and stuff that are kind of starting to dive into this and, and try to get a handle on what's going on. Um, but it is, a, it is a long journey to get to the finish line. So I uh, appreciate your comments and I'll turn it back over to you now. Scientific <laughs> A yubriu tait ukanich pakka time tang hok luku going back maybe twenty years. You not ashakut kisuki, mani kuish pagami, kuskok pakamisu, asani sukakan in kilrinum nikuignen makunun, nakt itrelutin echinech to lalrita, tamakunik apkaruni pishuk. Kulrit ukut hotten pit, makut hook murisk ngarit. A site a sohluki a pischiga tuk a ikhilis hatsu nasti husnaschiga nani chamun pika perluki pitchit 
Before we get to the other two callers, I'm sure there's emails that have come come through. Can you get, get to those? Sure thing. Thank you, Sam. We have one email here, and I think part of this um, question um, has partially been answered maybe by stuff that Kevin shared just a little bit earlier, but I'll read it as is. Looks like it will be another year of restrictions with all the pressure on Kuskokwim salmon from the catch to in-river pressure to climate change. What is the long-range look for our Kuskokwim salmon? And then there's a second part to this person's email. Has the Fish Commission, Fish and Wildlife and Fish and Game uh, Working Group taken a, po a position on the Donlin Mine? It seems just more added pressure on our already stressed river. Four barges every single day to rule the mine in addition to other impacts sure sounds crazy. Anybody want to get at that? One of you guys? Well, Don the Mine came up. I, I'm just picking that as the first topic. Don the Mine came up last year during Fish Talk, too, in the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, or at least Yukon Delta National Wildlife Refuges, um, concerned for sure. We, we have grave concerns over Donlin Mine when it comes to wildlife, especially fisheries, um, because there's uh, a lot of concern over um, tailings, um, lakes, and containment, and whether those would fail if those tailings, mine tailings, get into the Kuskokwim River. It, it could ruin what is one of the best fisheries left in the world. Um, so, I, I mean, that came to mind right away. Um, it's not within the Yukon Delta National Wild Wildlife Refuge, so it's hard for us to take a real strong stance other than just sharing our concerns and working with partners like um, uh, many folks in Bethel have taken leadership in trying to fight Donlin, including Bev Hoffman and um, staff and um, leadership of ONC have really taken a strong stance and tried to fight Donlin Mine. But, um, you know, I, I think it's um, shareholders, Chalista, shareholders that are really going to have a lot of sway in what happens with that and um yeah that email kind of went over a couple of different topics but um i think that restrictions are kind of the the word people latch on to but um i would like to look at this summer as um preservation preservation of the cuscoquim for the future generations and not looking at it as restrictions. Nobody wants restrictions, but just um, as Kevin mentioned, just taking a precautionary approach during the early season to hopefully see that the run's going to be strong. If the run will be strong, then restrictions could potentially just be lifted, you know, and um, and um, the whole goal there is to make sure that the, the fish, though, are, are here for your kids and your grandkids. That's, that's what we're trying to do at the Fish and Wildlife Service. Mm -hmm. You? Yeah, thanks, Sam. This is Kevin. I'll try to touch on part of that question, especially the long-range look at the Chinook and the s salmon question that uh, Shelley had brought up there in the email. Um, it, that is hard to say what the Chinook, Chum, Sockeye, Salmon populations will look like in the future. We're not really sure. That's something scientists at UAF even this week are, have a workshop on, and they're looking at that, trying to figure out what the uh, 
what is going on, what is the long-term outlook that we don't know. But one thing that we've noticed recently, fishermen know better than I do, is that um, the sockeye salmon seem to be doing better recently. Um, but the one the problem with a lot of sockeye salmon in the river is that when we have all these restrictions, they're hard to target uh, because we're having to have Chinook and Chum conservation restrictions and very little limited windows to harvest Chinook and Chum. And when you have a lot of sockeye in the river, it's hard to not want to go, I mean, hard to capture them. So we were talking recently on alternative gear types that you can try to use to catch sockeye salmon during the closures. And one of these is dip nets, seine nets, uh, upper river with uh, fish wheels. Um, and there's been people using dip nets and they seem to be working. Uh, I know some people at the refuge, they use them. And um, it's used on the Yukon River for commercial fishery on, on different fish and stuff. So we just want to, I just bring that up because I'd like to encourage people to try these other gear types um, and, and um, try to target some sockeye if you can. Not saying that the long-term outlook for sockeye is going to continue to be healthy, but uh, at least for now they seem to be doing okay. Mm -hmm. uh, dip nets. <laughs> I've tried dip netting. I haven't caught even one fish yet. Uh, Mike, uh, do you want to add anything else? <laughs> Yeah, um, I think uh, for a long, long time, growing up on the Cuscombe River, we had no restrictions. Um, some 60 years that I've observed on the Cuscombe River, and we never had some restrictions. The only laws that we followed was the traditional law. And um, whenever we go out and uh, to uh, um, catch our king salmon, our um, chum salmon, and other species. We've always um, took our time uh, to make sure that um, we have uh, enough fish to survive the winter. And that was um, told to us by our elders to uh, continue to um, um, uh, continue to uh, keep um, our um, fish coming back and to uh, respect um, the fish every step of the way to keep and not spoiling and not um, uh, overdoing it. And I think um, whenever uh, our grandmothers, our moms and, um, and uncles and aunts say enough and um, and that's what um, we live by without any combat fishing, and before commercial fisheries so showed up, and um, also the um, <coughs> possible high seas um, um, issues that uh, we have um, seen uh, with the chucking of uh, king salmon and the high seas, and the issue of climate change uh, when we've seen. Uh, a lot of the fish uh, uh, that died on the river, floating down the river. And, uh, and I think those are uh, some of the things that um, uh, I've observed. Um, and the commercial fishery went away in the, uh, 
on the Kuskokwim River, but uh, there are um, other areas um, in Area M and also um, uh, uh, other commercial fisheries that are happening in the bay and um, out in the high seas that need to be um, uh, really uh, looked into and uh, more research needs to be done on the issue of climate change. So, so I think um, uh, up to this date, um, we have seen the Norton Sound crash and we've seen the Yukon River crash in 2012. Uh, uh, we crashed on the Kuskokwim River on Chinook and uh, there were no uh, openers until um, uh, we said we're going to go uh, out fishing um, with a pre-announced fishery uh, fishing, uh, even though it was closed, and um, and 55 fishermen were uh, arrested at that time, and uh, and I think uh, in order to feed our families, uh, the elders said, go out and fish and. Um, and go get what you, uh, we need a t uh, to eat fish. We're hungry after a long winter, and we cannot do that. And we feel for the Yukon River, uh, folks that didn't have the opportunity last summer. And we don't want to end up like that. And even though, um, you know, before um, Donlan happens, um, you know, right now we're uh, seeing um, uh, a lot of these, um, impacts on our Chinook and our chums and um, and you know we've all uh, looked at uh, the chum and the coho so so I think um, in a long run um, we're going to have to um, uh, look at that and we've um, made the comments on those scoping meetings on um, um, these hearings that were held uh, because of the proposal that Chalista Corporation had um, uh, some uh, way back uh, with uh, the Chalista Corporation Board of Directors, and that's their decision. And uh, we're shareholders, and um, and it's up to the shareholders to decide um, uh, what they uh, should do um, in terms of um, uh, other um, kinds of development that's going to occur, but um, we're going to have to look at uh, what's happening right now. And um, and I know that um, uh, we have to plan for the future, and um, and we have seen um, the concerns that we've had um, with um, the oil and gas and mining development that uh, occurs throughout the world. So we've seen that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, now Mike. Uh, uh, we have uh, three callers online that have been patiently waiting. Um, Reminding everybody out there on 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 KYUK radio, uh, this uh, uh, fish talk show uh, is going to last until 5 p.m. So be patient. We'll get you online in in the order that that we have received the calls. Um, kind of hold off on on your ideas for a while uh, while we go to the the caller here. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Iikitaki. Steven Alexi Napaskak. I'm originally from Makneto. Kanaganiralra. Uh, Kuyanak Fastonsuchi. I'd like to thank 
everyone that's sitting there on the panel uh, for the Cusco Kum, we've been at this for nearly a decade, uh, federalizing the waters where they can. And last year, it was not a pleasant uh, scene when the state of Alaska decided to open, even though the um, federalized people uh, in the management said no. If the state of Alaska person is listening here, I ask you to listen this year. If they say no opening, abide. And it's the whole ecology of the salmon that's affected from the rivers all the way out to the ocean, all the way to where they feed. I'm happy that my uncle Mike brought up Area M, where I've been voicing uh, last year. Area M, I believe, intercepted fish that were bound, especially chum, that were bound for the Cuscoquim, Yukon, and Norton Sound areas. Nearly 2.3 million fish was caught. Incidentally, when they were fishing for rich, this is nothing new. There are documents out there that need to be revisited. Before they open area M, they should have at least one million chums pass, as that's the only area where chums pass. The kings pass through other areas. And then I look forward to a uh, uh, schedule this year as it, as we were more prepared than ever before. Um, Bristol Bay is uh, anticipating seven, 70 million plus reds. And a few years ago, I read 1% of those reds returning to Bristol Bay are bound for Cuscoquim. So that's 700,000 reds. And on the Cuscoquim, when reds swim on high tide, they mainly swim on sandbars, not where uh, the deep channels are. Um, preliminary numbers may be in, and the state of Alaska has been. There, there's no there. There's plenty of data. State of Alaska has been uh, managing since last. Uh, when federal, when we started federalizing the rivers, which is about 10 years or more. So you guys have the data there. We, we can't say there's no data. There's they, enough data there to predict and even look into because uh, every fall, the city of Bethel discharges their treated sewage. What, what treatment they use can be affecting the salmon too that's going out. I thank you for taking time to listen to me. Good afternoon. There's another caller online waiting. Caller number two. Good afternoon. Hello. Quick question. 
Я Андрах Канкамай Камагумстан Вагнам Пинваки. Although that we're not scientists, I'll make predictions and make data. My forefathers used to live like what Mike would have told, foretold. No limitation, but to where the limit reached, they say they'll stop. And they honor that. They used to come in bundles, including going up talks at rivers, They used to spawn plenty before that mining had started. And when it starts, when it starts, it includes the water. There's, I'm 65 plus now. I've seen changes from then to now. It used to be clear right to the bottom of the bed of the river. We could see fish going in. Now, I can't. There's fewer, fewer fish going in. Why? This river hasn't been studied or looked into. Now you're speaking of Townsend Gold, which is very, very vital. And other things that weren't popped up, like in the ocean, I hear scientists say, on the bottom of the ocean, there is uh, something that's coming out and killing all the, the plants. All I know, it reached southeast, but from there I haven't heard. Still probably coming. And if you introduce that, you look at the boat, our boat. Brownies. On a boat, it sticks. Even including the motor. That didn't used to happen when I was young. Trying to preserve all the fish that you guys are focusing on on Chinook and some now. What will happen next? Speaking of escaping to should be mentioned to trawlers as well. Speak to them about escapement too. All my life, I've seen little fish coming up, down when they hatch, and I used to see plenty of them. I mean, plenty. And I could see birds eating. When they get grown enough, like seven to eight inches, they're gone. Maybe to go out 
to grow more before they get to the ocean. Then I hear schools of fish that are still growing and schools of fish that are have to migrate to lay their eggs. Everything itself have a time frame. Even birds have time frame. Even humans that consumes it when regulated or put restriction, we have time frame. You speak to Charles or state of Alaska speaking of a statement. Let them understand as well while, while you're trying to speed out a statement. Thank you very much for taking my call. No, I thank you. Uh, caller number three. Good afternoon. Hello. Uh, my turn. Your turn. Oh, well, I'm going to I'm going to Beaver, Balukdanak, Magunak, Nostatnik, Magut, Anshit, Paikanak, Okunak, Sank, Mustatnik, Gordagam, Balukdanak, Kalak, 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 uh <laughs> <laughs> Balukta <laughs> Um, <laughs> Kia 
Um, so uh, we, we'd like, before we get to the other caller, I would like to hear some remarks and, and responses of what the callers we've been hearing. Uh, if, if, you, if you can touch a little bit about a little bit on, on those, maybe starting from you, uh, then maybe jump around a little bit uh, on, on those. Hi, Sam. I and everyone, I only just wanted to remind folks of the, the call-in number, which I think most everybody probably has memorized, but the 1-800 number, 995-8954, and other call number is one five four three. Uh, 5985. So we really want to hear from folks. And also, if you like to text, you don't want to call, you don't want to email, you can text me, I'm Shelly, at 907-242-5326. Again, that's 907-242-5326. And then I will look to my right to see if the Fish Commission folks would like to share any comments. Well, um, in uh, regards to the beaver, um, I think um, it was uh, just uh, in uh, 40 years um, that uh, I've lived in Akiak, uh, we never used to have the beaver. And it was uh, um, those folks uh, always went to Nusigak area, Holitna, to do their uh, beaver trapping. But in the last 40 years, um, we've noticed the increase of beaver and beaver damming and, um, and damming our sloughs um, around Akiak and um, unable to get to our hunting areas easily or picking berries er uh, areas, having to jump through uh, those uh, dams that uh, that uh, beavers constructed so so I think uh, the beaver uh, trapping um, uh, was um, uh, no longer an economic um, uh, opportunity for those trappers uh, the price of beaver skins have gone down a lot and um, so nobody um, uh, traps beaver anymore but for uh, some food for the communities uh, but uh, we've seen um, uh, a lot more beavers uh, on the Cusquim River and um, also in our um, uh, for example the Kizaralik River and um, so they've um, increased their uh, population so um, so th the gentleman suggested that uh, we do bounty on the beaver to uh, control um, that. But, um, but we have uh, tried our best um, as uh, dog mushers to, um, um, uh, to uh, take advantage of um, that beaver to uh, supplement um, the loss of our salmon uh, to feed our dogs. Uh, especially in Akiak and um, and my son uh, hunting beaver to feed the dogs because we're not getting enough chum or salmon to feed the dogs uh, and including the uh, whitefish uh, th that population came down 
but I think we're seeing um, a lot more um, uh, cheefish um, in the spring and um, a lot more cheefish uh, that probably consume a lot of those smolts and also a lot of pike uh, that we've uh, seen the increase in our sloughs um, uh, when we uh, used to um, fish for the uh, whitefish. But we're catching a lot more um, uh, pike. But I think in terms of um, uh, the beaver, um, I think uh, that uh, recommendation by that gentleman uh, to um, at least do something um, uh, with the population. <coughs> I know in terms of uh, the moose, um, they've increased. Uh, we never used to have that much moose in our area in Akiak, but we've seen um, the rapid increase in the moose population. But I think those, um, <coughs> um, but I think uh, for the most part, uh, there needs to be research, more research done on the impacts of beaver in the sloughs or in the headwaters like Kizarali, Quitlip, Tuluxac, you know, Anyak rivers or um, in Holitna rivers. But we need to take a look at that. And, you know, what's the answer to that? Um, I don't know. Just a good question. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Uh, the, the guy the guy in Anchorage Nick do you have anything to add uh, pertaining to those callers and remarks do you have do you have anything yes Sam um, earlier uh, the from the email that you received I think one of the questions was is the, the working group taking any stances on Donlin and uh, the most recent uh, action taken by the working group was in 2020 they passed a resolution uh, for the long-term protection and long-term viability of rainbow smelt coming to the Custom River. So um, I just wanted to, to follow up with that and, and put that out there so that, that email person um, knew that that had happened. So thank you. E. Boyd, do you have anything? Well, not specific to um, like the beaver discussion, but I think that um, my comment would be that it's just a good observation that salmon and fisheries in general have a lot of barriers if you want to call beaver dams and as you mentioned the dams that we construct as humans the mines that we construct there's a, a lot of factors that are affecting salmon including things going on out in the Bering Sea global climate change commercial fishing um, they're getting hit from all sides right and so um, I think that it's just a good observation to make that um, that there are those barriers out there, and that is the like the precautionary approach and the reason for the precautionary approach from Fish and Wildlife Service is that there are a lot of unknowns, especially early on in the season. Um, as the fish are coming back, we really don't have this somehow magical crystal ball that tells us what's coming. We do have these estimates that the state um, puts out but um, we really don't know until the fish come back and so we wanted to be pre precautionary in the beginning of the the year when the, the salmon are returning but um, going all the way back even to when Tim called in and, and others you know I, I think Tim was questioning that data and 
you know, how good our crystal ball is. Mm-hmm. And I think we focus, Nick and I, maybe on the on the river, the data that comes from the river, the Kuskokwim. But the Bering Sea is a, a big, huge body of water. And NOAA, I have this presentation here in front of me to remind me that NOAA Marine Fisheries does their best to determine what's going on out there in the Bering Sea. But it's difficult. It's a difficult task. Um, but their scientists are giving us a lot of indicators that um, salmon numbers aren't going in a good direction. The chum, they're not looking good for this year because of mostly what's coming from NOAA and out there in the the Bering Sea monitoring that they're doing. So um, whether it's global climate change, um, commercial fishing, or beavers, um, salmon are getting hit from all sides. And so it's just a precautionary approach, I think, is, is um, the best. Um, the best idea for us on the Kuskokwim to keep us from getting to where the Yukon got, um, where there's no fishing at all. Mm-hmm. And do you have anything? Yeah, thank you, Sam. This is Kevin. Just if I can touch a little bit. So Stephen Alexia, or Stephen Lexi, he brought up uh, Area M management and the chum fishery there. Uh, if I could just make a comment about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a few callers back. He may be, hopefully he's still on, but yeah. anyhow. Um, the Fish Commission is um, is trying to do what we can with that fishery. We're learning that fishery. We're learning who the managers are. Uh, State of Alaska, it's not in river management. Nick Smith is, you know, he takes care of the Kuskokwim, but that's a different management um, group who takes care of the Area M management. And so we're learning that fishery and we're trying to pressure that fishery. And, um, you know, we've have we've had proposals put in just this uh, through the Board of Fish, the Fish Commission teamed with the TCC um, and Quaric, and we sent a fish proposal to the area management uh, through the Board of Fish to try to pressure that fishery so we can try to get some of those chums, uh, like Stephen was saying, up into the western part of the state. So we're trying to do what we can. So the Fish Commission is trying to take this view of gravel to gravel for the fish management and so from when they're born all the way out to the ocean and back we have to keep an eye on everywhere in between um, so just want to add that thank you uh, we we have two callers online um, that that have that are waiting uh, and and yes let let me remind everybody where M area M is. I, I'm sure that everybody knows where it is. It's in the Aleutian chains and Aleutian chains there's a gap between the two islands where where that area M is. Uh, and it's that's that's what it is. It's it's a pass between two islands that leads to no river. It leads from Gulf of Gulf of Alaska into the Bering Sea. And those fish are bound for these rivers. And they are being intercepted with X amount. I don't even know what what their cap is. And in order for them not to reach that cap at a very early age is what they call chucking. 
Um, we've heard of it for years and years and years. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to, um, um, you know, give uh, information on uh, the uh, uh, 2021 uh, Cusquam River salmon numbers. And speaking about data, um, you know, uh, on the Chinook uh, uh, harvest uh, last year, uh, the total was around 21,630 Chinook. That was called, uh, caught from Tuntutuliak to Akachuk. That was 21,630. The Chumsam harvest was 4,220 um, from um, that area. Sockeye was uh, 23,600 um, and total uh, uh, salmon harvest um, in the lower river was 49,440. Um, and, um, and I think uh, uh, the uh, Bering Sea uh, Chinook um, bycatch report as of um, uh, April 9th this year was uh, total uh, number of uh, bycats was um, uh, over 5,000 um, Chinook. Um, so, so I think uh, that is um, uh, something that um, uh, that we need uh, need to look at. And the CDQs um, took um, the catch at 392, and um, the um, other um, offshore um, uh, offshore um, folks uh, caught 4,782 uh, by cats of Chinook. So I just wanted to share that uh, on how how that looked uh, looks. So um, historically, we harvested 80 uh, over 80,000 Chinook to meet our subsistence needs. But look uh, at what uh, the Cusquam River from Tuntutuliak to Akachuk harvested last year, 21,630. So that's way down from, um, you know, from um, the total harvest um, um, that uh, we have seen. Um, and we have uh, discussed, uh, um, you know, from the mouth to the headwaters on the disparities um, of population here. There's uh, less population up in above Antioch and also um, uh, the population factor below Antioch to uh, the mouth. So, so we're taking a look at uh, all of those uh, factors um, <coughs> on um, the data. And, um, and I think we're trying our best in terms of um, uh, monitoring uh, by local uh, folks um, during those times of openers, we need to have exact number of those um, uh, harvests that uh, takes place in all of the communities. So I encourage um, all of those uh, villages that um, are offered harvest uh, monitors to um, to hire uh, some of those young people that can um, help uh, to count our uh, harvest rates. So uh, I just wanted to share uh, those numbers before any of our callers uh, call anymore. 
Hi, Sam. Tim Mogo again. Hello, um, Tim. Hi. There were a couple of points that I forgot to raise. Um, one is the Arium fishery. I, I think it was 2014 that uh, they caught an incidental harvest of uh, 25,000 Chinook salmon. I might be wrong one or two years, but uh, ever since that time, the uh, the harvest has been about 10 to 15, maybe 18,000. And uh, if you look at the data before that time, their uh, normal catch was like three to four thousand annually from from both uh, the June fishery and post June fishery. Um, <clears throat> and I was just wondering if if um, genetic data are being taken out of that out of that fishery since there's no uh, terminal 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 uh, runs. In the area of fishery, that means there's no um, runs of king salmon in that area and streams uh, that are in the area. And um, the other issue that I'd like to raise is the Russian side of the Bering Sea, what exactly is happening on the other side. I think Boyd kind of touched on it earlier that uh, it's tremendously hard to try and get data from that that side of the Bering Sea, and it's likely to get even harder with um the situation that we're in now uh, <clears throat> but um, any attempts to uh, identify the um, genetic information from those two fisheries would likely greatly help um, understand what exactly is happening on this side uh, since for the Yukon River it's every fish counts and um, the Cuscoon River as far as Chinook and Chum Salmon every fish counts at the moment and um, whatever harvest or whatever impact that those two fishers might be having, uh, it would be good information for us to know. Thank you. Koyana, Tim. Uh, we have another caller online. If you can hold on to what, what Tim was asking and hold on to those remarks. Good afternoon, caller. Good afternoon. How are you doing? This is Joe Moses from Bethel. Hello, Joe. How are you? Good, good. You know, I lived here all my life, uh, 62 years. I remember when you could go out and go fishing and there was no restrictions. And all of a sudden, over the years, the fish has gone, becoming less and less and less. Um, first comment I have is, why did the uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service or the Alaska Department of Fish and Game when they were at their weirs counting fish, why didn't they not have an outside agency like a local village corporation to go along with their trips to make sure the fish are being counted adequately? I never understood why they would not let anybody go with them or perform that duty as an outside entity. That to this day, it's still it's it's unbelievable why they wouldn't do that. And the other thing is. Um, is there a reason why AREM doesn't have restrictions on the amount of time and fish they can fish for when they fish in that area? I mean, has anybody looked into that or wondering why they allowing them to do all that fishing without no restrictions? And here, when we have to fish on our, our rivers, like the Cuscoquim or the Yukon, we have all these restrictions applying to us, and we've been this has been part of our lifestyle forever. 
and then all of a sudden we got outside agencies. We don't know who's going to manage the the fisheries until that time comes. First, the state opens up, and then they hand it over to the feds. I mean, that or that I don't understand. Um, is there a discrepancy between the two, or is one got less power or greater power than the other? And then, uh, you know, all this talking we're doing, somebody finally brought up uh, beaver dams and pikefish. Uh, the one thing that I've never heard or anybody talk about is salmon sharks. Has anybody monitored those and how much salmon they eat? So I'm kind of curious if anybody on this uh, show or any of those agencies that are there listening or want, you know, has anybody monitored that? And, uh, you know, we've always had a problem with uh, deep sea fishing out there. Their nets are eight miles long. And is there an adequate count on how much I don't like to call it bycatch. They, they're catching more than what they should be other than what they're fishing for. And there's other species besides salmon that are getting caught in the nets. Is anybody paying attention to the actual count of that? And if it's not, why is it not being monitored like the rest of us that are being monitored and are giving restrictions and when we can and can't fish? I'm going to go ahead and hang up and listen. Joe, do you have anything to... to since I haven't uh, uh. hi everyone this is Shelley again um, I don't have a response to the callers I'm sure our experienced and knowledgeable guests and hosts will have some responses but um, I just wanted to remind folks again that you could give me a text 907-242-5326 and also that um, there is a recording of today's listening session that will be available on KYUK.org um, sometime in the next couple of days. So I don't want to commit the folks here at KYK. And um, Sam, I do have a couple of emails, but I can wait until our folks have had a chance to why, why don't do Why don't we get to those? Uh, okay. Okay. So um, these I are, I think, more comments. Um, so I'll share those. Um, and this is uh, from uh, someone that's anonymous that says the subject is fish collapse restitution. Um, and the person's message says Alaska Native folks should be the sole recipients of the PFDs. Restitution for a mismanaged fish collapse that the state and federal yahoos made happen. I can read the next couple of emails. Okay, this one a little bit longer and... Um, uh, looks like Beverly gave me permission to read her name. Beverly Hoffman here, Quiana, for your response, Fish and Wildlife Service, and sort of response from Nick Smith for Fish and Games positions on Donlin. Still wanting to hear from the um, Kuskokwim River Intertribal Fish Commission if they will pass any resolutions opposing this mine. Also, 20 years or more ago, when I was on the working group, we were addressing the bycatch issues when we started seeing problems with our numbers. The Magnuson-Stevenson Act stopped foreign fishery fleets, but look what happened. In comes the trawlers from Washington and Oregon and elsewhere. Corporate America fast food demand and their big-time lawyers lobbying Washington will continue to challenge our subsistence needs. Thank you for this show. And then one more, and it looks similar to the one I read earlier. The subject this time was class action lawsuit. Maybe the PFD should solely belong to Alaska Native folks. 
restitution for a mismanaged collapse fish runs handled by inept folks that don't even live or fish in the areas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, there's a couple of things that um, <coughs> I want to add to your translation. Um, I'll start with uh, the village visits beginning in 2016. Um, just about every village that I went to, the the knowledge holders were all saying or telling telling us that the size of the king salmon returning to the river is getting smaller every year and then Kevin touched on that that um the size of the chinook uh, uh, returning to the spawning rivers are all getting small uh, on the atlantic side and here on the pacific side so um and I've I've been hearing that uh, all along. And the other thing about the beaver, um, yeah, my, uh, Mike touched on that. Uh, where I come from, from Nelson Island, there wasn't any beavers, and and my father, um, who was born, uh, I I don't know, uh, like eighteen hundred, at the end of eighteen. 
90s, early 1900s, somewhere there. He said one time that he saw a very strange-looking furry flat-tailed animal that he's never seen before. So, um, and then the the other elders were also talking about that um, that that I've heard. So these animals are somewhat, I would, they they're migrating. Uh, they're invasive species. I would, I don't know, but that caller that talked about the the beavers, um, he mentioned that um, the um, the elders, the the people that are not with us, um, who are gone now, um, that used to uh, go berry picking to the. Uh, the streams and sloughs during their time and where those sloughs and streams were navigable their time and then he mentioned that these beavers will um, cut down bush branches and all that and some of them will uh, drift downstream and sink to the bottom and then that navigable street navigable stream or slough will eventually get um, shallower and become unnav- unnavigable because of the growth from the the branches um, that have sunk to the bottom and and adding to that so that's one other thing that um, he mentioned um, I guess that's it uh, we we have have other callers waiting, but I I want to give you guys a chance to uh, uh, speak something if you have anything on uh, what those other callers have have brought up. Well, this is Boyd from Yukon Delta National Wildlife Refuge, um, and one thing that a caller brought up, Joe brought up, local people or or outside people verifying weir data and. I think Nick might want to respond to the ADFNG weirs, but at least the weir that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service um, is partnering on uh, to run is the Queethluck weir. And since I've been here, it hasn't been in operation, but I'm really proud of the fact that the Fish and Wildlife Service, the Fisheries Division, uh, partners um, with OVK, the Village of Queethluck, and the Cuscombe River Intertribal Fish Commission and there's a concerted effort, and Kevin uh, has been working really hard with um, with uh, fisheries division folks to get people hired from the village of Queethlook. So we don't have staff that are, quote unquote, I think the caller said, um, not even from around here or people that aren't local. Um, and, and they're not even agency staff. They're people right from the community. Uh, and so, and, and that is partly an, a, an attempt to build trust and to make sure there's ownership in the data and in these monitoring projects. So that's all. Nick? Yeah, this is Nick. Um, and I guess to, to build on uh, what Lloyd was saying, so the weir project that uh, Alaska Department of Fish and Game has operated for a number of years now, I'm um, trying to think of how many times we've not had local people working on those weirs, and it's, it's very few. Um, we've done, like Boyd was saying, we've partnered a lot with uh, K 
K&A, when K&A existed, and more recently with um, Native Village in the Pine and then MTNC up in the graph. Uh, Kevin and his group operates the, the weir out of the Cotina, and all those weirs right now have um, people from the area working on them. And I guess I would also uh, invite Joe that, um, you know, our, our weirs are definitely not off limits, and we're more than happy to answer questions. If you want to see one, we can figure out a way to, to see the weir. Um, one thing that Joe also brought up was uh, salmon sharks. And um, during the last five to six years now, um, people may have heard about the, the northern Bering Sea surveys that Alaska Department of Fish and Game are doing more recently, the southern Bering Sea that we've been trying to get off the ground. And uh, for the longest time, uh, NOAA has been doing a, a large survey effort out in the northern and southern Bering and Chukchi Seas. And one thing that they do catch is salmon sharks occasionally. And for, uh, I think we're up to three now that have been caught recently and uh, staff from either NOAA or Fish and Game or whoever is on the boat at that time has been putting um, a satellite tag on these sharks so that we can start tracking these sharks, kind of to see where they're going. And we've been working with uh, researchers at uh, University of Alaska Fairbanks on this project. So we're starting to actually get some more data on the salmon sharks. So hopefully uh, we'll get some more resolution uh, for Joe in the not too distant future on them. Um, Tim did bring up uh, Area M Chinook Harvest Genetics. And I was just uh, researching quickly because I'm not an expert on, on the genetic side. Um, but I would have to do some more digging to, to see what's out there for Chinook Genetics. It, it, it's definitely not surprising me that genetics are available. I just uh, didn't Google them fast enough. Um, so I, I guess I'll leave it there. And I appreciate the, the questions and the comments. E, uh, you have anything, Kevin? Yes, thank you, Sam. And <clears throat> I just want to make a comment on uh, also Joe's comment or question about uh, local involvement with the uh, weir projects and other projects. So it is one of the Fish Commission's Cuscombe River Intertribal Fish Commission. It's one of our goals to work with local people, uh, build capacity within the communities so that um, they can run these projects, get involved with fisheries management, uh, and so on and so forth. And so, like myself, I'm from McGrath. I grew up in McGrath. I was basically, uh, you know, everybody's rug rat running around fishing and stuff like that. But anyhow, I'm I'm a product of that capacity building, uh, working with local agencies. I built a lot of my capacity with Fish and Wildlife and Fish and Game. Like Nick said, that we partnered with and I was with MTNT. But anyhow, we the Fish Commission does run the Takatna River Weir uh, completely. I, I oversee that project and we have everybody who's fish technicians are all from Takatna or the local area. We've had people from Nikolai. Uh, like Boyd mentions, the Queefluck River Weir, OVK, Fish Commission, we're heavily involved there. We're looking at uh, this year's our first year. We have a smolt project where we're counting the smolt coming out of the Queefluck River just above the weir site. This is a project uh, OVK is, our fish commission is heavily involved. We've hired people from Tuluksack and from Queefluck. Um, and you know, it amazes me all the time how much capacity there are there is already in these communities. We had somebody drop out a couple of years ago into Cotton and they said, I, I can't work this summer, Kevin, I'm sorry. I said, no problem, I'll look around for somebody else. And this is a community of 50 people, by the way. So I advertised for a 
fill that position and somebody came back with me and she said i only have seven years of experience is that okay it was like you're hired so just amazing and same with queef those people you know we'll get 12 15 applicants for weir techs and screw trap projects uh it's there's a lot of capacity was just capitalizing on that and getting these people involved just want to make that comment thank you joe for that a comment um that's all mike yeah in, in regards to the issue of uh Donlan goal um i think um uh, with the um, uh, consultations um, that the tribes had uh, over the years with scoping meetings and uh, and all of the uh, those uh, hearings that um, our tribes have um, been um, making comments on the EIS process. Um, um, we have made comments um, that um, um, we have to uh, protect our fish and wildlife um, at every turn. And um, that has been a strong message uh, to um, all of that um, <coughs> during that process. Um, uh, comments made by uh, the um, uh, federally recognized tribes and um, and that has been uh, the comment and the um, Tusquam uh, management working group has um, uh, made uh, a comment on the issue of smelts and that has been the only uh, resolution that uh, Nick mentioned um, that um, uh, that uh, barging um, would help and that was the only issue that um, we dealt with uh, the issue of smelts um, that um, and uh, during that time and I think um, um, th that has been um, looked at by um, uh, by um, everyone on the impacts of smelts um, and where they spawn and etc and the timing of um, uh, those smelts and that was the uh, only issue that um, uh, that the management working group uh, uh, took a look at, and um, and I think for the most part, um, the federally recognized tribes in that um, uh, consultations uh, we heard it, uh, read heard them loud and clear, and if you could get um, uh, all of those comments on record from um, the EIS process, uh, I think all that. Um, information on uh, the concerns that the uh, everyone has and um, so I think uh, that's a uh, uh, big issue that uh, I think we've uh, discussed during the uh, AF AVCP conventions the um, other um, forums that um, uh, Chalista uh, Corporation uh, uh, sponsored in the past uh, along with uh, AVCP to discuss um, uh, this issue and um, and of course um, the tribes um, have um, have had forums um, on this issue uh, and inviting both um, um, uh, the landholder and that's our corporation that's Chalista Corporation and also um, um, Donlan Gold and the tribes together. So we've invited um, to have those discussions on an ongoing basis um, and, um, and very um, little participation in those gatherings we had. But, um, 
but yes, we need to continue to um, discuss this issue and uh, to make sure that our salmon and our rivers and um, and our wildlife are uh, protected. So, so I just wanted to um, uh, say that uh, it's not um, just a position, but we need to continue to um, uh, discuss those uh, concerns that we had. Thank you. Oyana Mike. Chris? Yeah, Oyana Sam. I, um, I just remembered, uh, I, I, I just want to uh, translate it into Ubiquit uh, Boyd had uh, commented, commented about Donlan Gold, about our, our uh, position. Um, <coughs> Pinnetsheit <laughs> We have two callers that have been patiently waiting. Uh, um, that the next caller, Clarence. Good afternoon. Kwaka Sam, this is Clarence. Over the years, I've been, or that actually, you know, over the, the last uh, maybe two years or so, something that always uh, jumps to my mind is, um, you know, we're always focusing on what's returning and, and all that and that's important um, but we, we should also start harnessing what's leaving um, if we're able to look at all everything that's leaving the region we we have a better ability to to gather more data like uh, you know through through other vessels from international um, to here here locally and you know there's there's um probably you know a lot of people that are that that immediately say you know that's not going to work because we just can't do that but instead of thinking about all the things that uh won't uh let something work we need to think about how can we make that work um we have really smart uh biologists um, we have uh, really smart uh, young men and women who are going through ANSEP, who are learning, uh, you know, to do all this. So 
you know, if we're able to do that, we can, we can, that, I think that's a missing data set. And if we can harness that data, we can further implement uh, actions, um, you know, on, uh, on the Bering Sea, internationally, you know, that, that's just my thought. Uh, we have another caller uh, if you can hold on to 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 your uh responses to that caller uh noah good afternoon for taking my call again i've been yeah i've been listening to various answers here you speak of donald gold and what it's not explainable. I'm going to share what I see here in Tulsa. There used to be a fish well here, and it's a spawning ground. You all know there's a mining up there called Nyack. Where did Nyack pop up from? It didn't exist when that mining started. The real name it's supposed to stick with is Tulsat Bridging Company, slash Nyack. There's four landings here going up, and there's debris that are left behind. Those are the things that I was trying to discuss, trying to preserve. What is on our table, on our menu? What's the next menu? Reds? I know Chinooks low. I know dogs and low. What about pinks? We all may overlook on some things that we're trying to discuss and surface. Talk about environmental impact, oil spill, power plant leak, radiation, all these minings that are in Tokesat, Donald, Red Dog Mine. These were the things that I were concerned of when I popped them in ABCC while I was. In the tribal government. And I'm trying to share the things that I learned that might help. Like the one that in the uh, in the ocean that's growing and killing off fungus. That should be in the data. And report it to the public. Let them know that this is going on. We all know that global warming might be the factor. What about the things that I've mentioned? Oil spill might be the factor. Power plant radiation leak might be the factor. I might be the factor as well. Why? Why am I saying it? There's all different kinds of people. Some are greedy. Some more fair, or some more in between. 
were not all the same. We're trying to put things on the table and talk about it so many years. And here I have a forefathers that used to tell me not to talk about certain species. Every year, every year, every year, swans is getting low. White-fronted geese is getting low. Chinook salmon is getting low. Dog salmon is now low. Now we're not focusing on the younger generation. Stay quiet and like our forefathers have. Thank you for taking my call and have a nice day. Yeah. Uh, before we get get to the other callers, uh, do we have any uh, responses, remarks to to what these? Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Sam. Clarence had brought up a question about um, in some a topic that uh, we've been discussing. Uh, he was talking about trying to study what's leaving the region. He was talking about salmon. Um, you know, we have numbers at the weirs with for adults leaving the or coming back but he mentioned uh maybe studying fish that are leaving so <clears throat> we started looking into that as well and fish and wildlife service did a study freshwater production survey on the Queethluck river in 2015 through 2018 and they were looking at just what you're talking about clarence they were tr counting the number of smolt coming out of the system or that system uh, at, and that that uh, project showed that every year there was a 50% decline in, um, I can't remember if it was just Chinook, but if it were salmon-wide. But anyhow, we are restarting that project this year. We got funding with Fish and Wildlife Service. They actually got the grant to uh, restart that project. Um, <coughs> it's a project with Fish and Wildlife Service and... Uh, Fish Commission, we hired people from Queethluck and Tuluxac. And uh, we have two years of funding, and hopefully if it's successful, we'll just keep doing that project, and it's um, hopefully we'll get that data like you're talking about. Uh, Nick, do you have anything to add? Oh, I do not have anything to add at this time. Uh, Boyd, do you have anything? Well, if there's no caller right now, I could just state um, a few things that Noah brought up, I think, a, a similar philosophy that I have, and that is that there's a lot of factors. He said he called it factors, and I, I agree that we all, it's kind of human nature to want to find one thing to blame, mm -hmm. say, oh, it's beavers. It's beavers' fault. That's why the salmon are coming back, you know, or, or oh, you know, those people from such and such community aren't ca are catching too many fish, or, or whatever. And in nature, it's it's usually not just one thing to blame for, um, for declines in numbers or for for issues going on in the environment. But one thing that scientists have have had a lot of agreement on, and and that's related to climate change, habitat in the Bering Sea. And many people from the local community are bringing up commercial fisheries and issues in the Bering Sea. And so I think that um, there's not just one 
sort of silver bullet, if you would, to say that is is to blame. But and I and I just caution everybody to blame other species like beavers or things like that when, um, as the caller represent, there's lots of factors and they mostly point back to us. You know, we people, especially outsiders, they're coming in and they want everybody wants salmon. The salmon from this area are feeding the world. You know, whether it's sockeye salmon from Bristol Bay or salmon out on the Bering Sea, these commercial fisheries are sending them everywhere. Um, and, uh, you know, I have concern about that for certain. So that's it. Hey, uh, do you have anything? Um, thank you, Sam. I was just going to share, since a lot of folks have touched on the Donlin Gold Project today and something that Mike said that just reminded me um, about the participation and engagement and getting... Um, more voices, more regional voices at the table about the project. And there is a, a resource I would just mention called Let's Talk Donlin. It's actually letstalkdonlin.com. And that is a, a resource um, that Chalista Corporation, Donlin Gold, and the Kuskokwim Corporation have developed. And there on that page, you can find um, something that says Subsistence Community Advisory Committee, and that's an opportunity um, to come to the table and talk about the relationship between the project and subsistence activities within the Kuskokwim River drainage. And there's a, a number of things that talk about what the committee will do and several different seats and how to apply for a committee seat. So I would just mention that as um, I know it's an ongoing discussion, but as one of these opportunities to continue to voice feedback. E Koyana, <coughs> We know that there has been a lot of hearing on the Red Devil mine, the uh, Quicksilver, the Mercury mine that um, uh, was uh, in operation for many years, and my grandpa worked up there. And he uh, would say, uh, talk about um, uh, that mine, that Quicksilver, that Mercury mine up in Redo. So in those um, uh, in those um, uh, tribal consultations um, between um, EPA. Uh, and uh, the tribes on that issue of uh, leaking to the river. And um, I know that Matthew Bean, when he was alive, uh, brought that up um, uh, about um, uh, mercury in, in our fish and uh, also in bourbon. And he kept uh, bringing those up on um, why um, a lot of our people are dying of cancer on the river. Uh, so, so those are the observations that I had, and um, and I think the uh, only way uh, we are going to resolve these 
is to have discussions and get on the table like um, uh, what we had uh, experience in uh, organizing the Cuscombe River Intertribal Fish Commission. It was always managed by Alaska Department of Fish and Game and Fish and Wildlife Service and all of our resources here. And uh, all of the people here in uh, the region with 56 tribes and villages, they need to, we need to get on the table to make sure our um, lands and our waters and our air are uh, protected together uh, in light of these uh, challenges are before us. So, so I think um, through a lot of uh, scientific research, the traditional ecological knowledge that we have, I think uh, both um, the Western science and the uh, traditional um, knowledge need to come together to make sure we protect our way of life forever. And, um, and I think that's, um, uh, a lot of us are trying to do that um, in, um, in areas of research um, through the universities with University of Alaska Fairbanks <coughs> and other universities, um, uh, University of Colorado with um, uh, the rivers um, in Alaska and the study of salmon and, um, and how we can get to that place of everybody being on the table. And I think that's um, uh, where um, uh, we keep saying that um, that salmon, that Chinook salmon that um, goes from the mouth to Nikolai, to the headwaters where they spawn, it's uh, that fish doesn't know um, the federal waters or the state waters or tribal waters. It uh, goes up and uh, we're all responsible for that. Uh, Alaska Department of Fish and Game, Fish and Wildlife Service, the Intertribal Fish Commission, we're all together and responsible for that salmon and for the health of the people. So I just want to make that comment, thank you. <laughs> Uh, excuse me. Do you have anything? Uh, we we have a caller online. Joe, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Sam. Joe Moses again. Um, when the first when the, the, this talk show first started, somebody had brought up uh, Bethel and its sewer discharge. You know, I'm getting tired of people blaming Bethel for the sewer that's being discharged. You know, there's not only the Bethel. You got the mouth of the Cusco come all the way up to the headwaters, like Mike said. Where's everybody else dumping their sewage? Quit blaming Bethel. You know, Bethel's just a part of it. We're only a small part of this issue. You got to look beyond that, like everybody's saying. There's a problem. There's a solution. Cause and effect. We're all guilty. Not just one person. So in order for us to get where we want to protect our way of lifestyle, we have to stand up for what we believe in. It's sad to see an entity that doesn't look 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 at that and the way of life out here that's been this way for 10,000 years. You know, I hate to say this, but 
money talks, and then if they want more money, they find a way to affect the earth to make more money and cause all kind of problems and havoc and whatnot. You know, they don't understand. They forget one thing. Where, where do you, where, don't forget where you come from. But this thing with Bethel and its sewer discharge, quit talking about Bethel. Look in your own village. Where does your trash in your sewer go? It's not just a Bethel problem. It, like the gentleman say, it's everybody's problem. We don't know what's causing all these numbers to go down until we have an answer. Quit blaming each other. we got to quit fighting. You know, there's a saying, divided, I mean, united we stand, divided we fall. We're all divided. Everybody blaming everybody else. Quit pointing your finger. Point your finger at you before you blame everybody else out there. You know, it makes no sense to argue and fight about something, and then it goes away. Just like Noah said, we're all guilty. Even, you know, I'm just as guilty as he is. But, you know, I'm only uh, a one-tenth of this problem because I take enough for what I need for my family. I don't take more than what I need. That's what my, my grandma and my dad taught me. Take only enough for your family. If you got more than what you have, give it away. Give it to the elders. You know, if people would think positive, talk positive, be positive, and show positive pro- productivity on this and stand with everybody that's involved in it. Alaska Department of Fish and Game, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, whatever commission is out there in terms of fishery, you know, let's let's take all these issues, put them on the table, Find a solution. You know, we're not raised that way. We're not raised to blame people for our problems. I'll give you the best example I know. How many years did we not moose hunt? Anybody know the answer to that? Ten years. We never hunted moose for a while. And what happened? There's moose everywhere. Because we did a moratorium on moose, they're here because we knew if we didn't do that, they would be gone. So somebody came up with a solution. It's called a moratorium. Let's not hunt. Everybody, let's not hunt for this long. Everybody quit hunting moose. We had to use find other animals to eat and live, live off, and that was caribou and all the fish we could get and all the birds we can get. We still we we learned to live out live without moose for five or seven years, whatever it was. We learned to live without it. There's no reason why we can't do this with the with the. Why do we want in uh, let our salmon species be extinct? What are we waiting for? We don't need to wait for nothing. We need to speak up, talk together, work together. All of us need to come up with one answer. But look at the problems it's causing in the meantime. Everybody want to blame everybody else. Nobody want to take the stand and say, oh, yeah, it's my fault. I'll be the first one to admit it's my fault. But I'm not the one destroying them like the high sea fisheries, no trawlers out there. They're killing more than I could eat. You know, think about all this. You know, somebody blamed the beaver. Somebody blamed the pikefish. Quit blaming what's out there that's do we know that for a fact? Unless somebody actually goes out and studies it, then you could come up with an answer. Until then, you don't have. We don't have an answer. 
but find a solution like Tim said. You know, we have to come up with something to keep these from for our future children and grandchildren. Otherwise, they'll have nothing. Why can't we have more on fish? It worked with the moose. You know, those are examples we should look at and what worked and what didn't work and live by what we should, what we believe in. But never fight about it. Like Noah said, we don't fight about what God gives us to put on our table. Be grateful. Be thankful. Okay, have a good day, guys. All right, yeah. Kuya Nacho, um, I'm so thankful that the moose don't go through false pass. Uh, to the sick the second caller. Uh, good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon. Good afternoon. calling again. I thank Joe. I'm the guilty one that said city of Bethel discharging. But what I was more concerned about is the treatment that uh, the sewage is treated with. Is it helping the fish or destroying the fish? You know, it's a whole ecological system, like I said. And I uh, 100% agree with um, Angapak, Terrence Daniel. Instead of uh, trying to fight, he's trying to look for solutions. Um, you know, I, earlier I forgot to mention co-management. The state of Alaska isn't more than the U.S. Fish and Wildlife. Before all this, um, you know, fall-time hunting, I used to hunt with two separate books. One from the state of Alaska, Regulations, and the other one from the Yukon Delta National Wildlife Refuge. Because every part of the hunting area I went hit the state and federal land. And I had to abide by those regulations. I think we in the Kuskokum River, along with Yukon River, are the most heavily regulated, most blamed people. Here we're indigenous to this land. you know, indigenous, from original people. Before it ever became the state of Alaska, before it ever became Yukon Delta National Wildlife Refuge, my forefathers roamed, trekked, subsisted, lived off the land. We're not trying to find, we're trying to fight or we're trying to find solutions as we have been for the past decade. I think the state of Alaska, Kuskokum River Intertribal Fish Commission, and Yukon Delta need to draft up a co-management system and, you know, sign it, agree to it, work together for the betterment of the people. And right now we're talking about the Kuskokum River. You three entities need to sign, agree to, and work together 
we do this every year, and we're getting better at it. And last year was the first time we saw a schedule, something for everybody to look forward to instead of sitting on the couch waiting for an announcement. We were more prepared and able to prepare for those days. And one more thing, we're in conservation for the last decade. These non-tributaries need to close while we're in conservation mode. That's what I've been voicing for the past two, three years. Everybody on the river system is able to go down to Greek, go down to Johnson or Galley Rivers to meet their needs and exceed and gather what they can. And that includes that 22,000 that Mike reported. Probably on top of that 22,000, another 10,000 was caught in those non-tributaries. While we're in conservation, they need to be closed and just open when they open. Good afternoon. Uh, when, when we were uh, out there talking, I was talking with uh, uh, Boyd and, and this young lady here. That I promised them that I would give them uh, an, a break, a five-minute break in every hour. It's been two hours. I'm sorry. I forgot about what I had promised. <laughs> but uh, if we can take a little, maybe a five-minute break and, and uh, um, g g give, give ourselves a little, a little time to replenish and use the bathrooms and stuff like that. A five-minute break.
Ani atam kanik utkhluta am khabat uku nun naknak a pikchagasmtni unum kuskukvakmak a kaglignumtni su a wastalignumtni a kuih kuih pim Anakt makuta mawatayluting ekinyak tuluting pilas hitnika am ukunik chanikap kalakongkuta ka akum akuyhta kata usudalinik pilas hukay makunik chulita kulutingi yumtnik pilpilrenika pilas hukay tamuklitot nuhipitukinka am kanik we have two callers online. Uh, we'll we'll go go to our first our first caller. Um, as we're ready, right? Everybody's ready. Our our caller, uh, Sophie from Tunt. Jamie <laughs> Jingani to be the Kakwak Hungilamta, 
and he's wondering why maybe because of uh, um, global warming that that's affecting this um, he's saying that it might the salmon have might have the same effect on 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 this this species that we're talking about salmon species um, there's a lot of factors uh, that that we're all looking at um, and and uh, little little better response to to what what uh, Boyd maybe you have some answers for the scheduling and and why 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 is the tomcat not showing up in Scammon Bay anymore? I might I might have to um, defer on that one, but on <laughs> <laughs> um, but on scheduling or or just our plans for this season, you know, um, and I don't want to step on Nick's toes, but I know that there's a salmon uh, a state um, working group meeting that's going to be on the 29th. Uh, next week, um, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and um, other folks here go to that meeting, and um, we we want to hear those discussions and see what comes out of the, the data that's discussed and all the different um, topics that are brought up. But then at some point after that, we still do want to pre-announce our intentions. Yeah, mm -hmm. And so I would say by sometime that first week of May at the latest, we would try to um, just like last year, press releases, um, using social media and other um, means to get the, the message out to people so they can plan for what's coming. Because we agree that it, it seemed to work pretty well mm -hmm. to have at least the early part of the season announced. And um, we, we care about people being able to prepare and get ready and, and you know, adequately subsistence fish. Um, I don't know about Tomcod, but um, and <laughs> Nick Nick might know some, so he might have some information from the state or others that have been studying that. But I'll just say it's a good point that we shouldn't just focus on one species, Chinook salmon or chum salmon. Um, Fisheries Division of U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has been um, successful in getting some funding to study whitefish because you know there's not much uh, there's not much known about that species especially compared to salmon mm -hmm. nobody's really studying it so in the Cuscoquam River um, Frank Harris is the lead investigator on that with the former um, fisheries biologist at the refuge but um, that person left but they'll still get that study done and that'll be a good project to learn more about the fish that uh, also mm -hmm. are dependent on for subsistence so yeah, yeah uh, Nick do you do you have anything to add to to Boyd, Boyd's comments. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Um, yeah, so continuing on with Boyd, uh, you mentioned that uh, our first spring meeting of the Cuscoma River Sands Management Working Group will be uh, next Friday, the 29th, there in Bethel and by Town Conference. Uh, I'll make that plug. And then for Tom Todd, you know, uh, for the last handful of years, uh, we've been hearing from, from coastal communities that the Tom aren't showing up. Um, and this kind of continues along with the trend of kind of the, the, the changes we've been seeing in the, in the fresh water and especially the ocean over the last handful, you know, the last decade. There's been tremendous changes to the, to the ocean with warming and the hot poles and kind of how nutrients are cycling. And, um, you know, Tom Cod is, is definitely one of the ones that's on people's radar. Um, and they're starting to see changes in the distribution there. Um, other species, the, the pollock, you know, they, 
find them moving more north uh, in these hot years. So I think it's, it's another uh, key uh, point to make that, you know, this recent changes in the environment aren't just affecting salmon solely, it's, it's affecting the whole ecosystem. E, uh, Kevin, do, do you have anything? Mike? Yeah, Ali, um, <clears throat> no, is, uh, you know, I think um, uh, George is right um, that a lot of um, salmon species are heading north and uh, to colder waters, and they're finding more salmon up um, around Nutralvik or in, um, in Canada, uh, up north in the Arctic Ocean. So, uh, so I... I think uh, because of the uh, ocean warming, um, I think uh, that's affecting not only salmon, but um, a lot of other species um, in that, um, you know, because of loss of ice. And, um, and I think uh, that those comments, um, uh, many of our traditional uh, knowledge holders here um, talk about the amount of snow and um, ice we have uh, on the river um, affects um, um, a lot of that. And that snow was mentioned in the Alaska Range. Um, yeah, plenty of snow this year, and um, hopefully that um, it will keep um, our rivers cool. And um, that has been mentioned um, there. So, um, so I. I think um, uh, George is right that the uh, climate change um, impacts uh, need to um, uh, be um, more, um, I think, uh, sharing of that information uh, with the communities and, um, and gather more information on climate change impacts from each community. I think um, on the Kuskokwim River, in the coast, and um, in the Yukon, we have to take a look at that. It's a big, um, I think, uh, one of the major impacts um, on our declining um, uh, salmon and fish. Koyana, mm -hmm. so. uh, Chris, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I think you pretty much covered uh, the translation for the colors there but it, it reminded me <coughs> of one of our elders saying that uh, the ocean is the heart of the li life cycle of everything that happens here on the mainland so um, speaking about uh, warming ocean temperatures is it really is uh, definitely affecting the the migration of the fish and and like George mentioned that uh, oh by the way um, Scammon Bay is further north of uh, Hooper Bay. Oh, okay. So the the fish uh, Scammon Bay is situated right alongside the river there, and that's where they used to fish um, for tomcat. Tomcat is a local. Uh, name for whatever they look like uh well they are caught but um 
all our fish have moved further north of Scammon Bay. Do you have? Okay, we have a caller, another caller, David. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you for taking my call. This is David Sick. I'm from Marshall. And um, I appreciate all the information that everyone's um, giving during this uh, hearing session. And um, I know there's lots of different concerns and points of view, and they're all legitimate. And um, I have respect for all the uh, other different um, concerns, but um, I wanted to get to uh, Tim Andrews' um, um, point uh, earlier when he called. He, he mentioned that every fish counts, and um, during one of the talk shows, I think it was last week, KYK talk show, uh, one of the callers mentioned that Noah. Uh, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration reported that the trawlers had caught 6,000 kings so far this season. And um, it's awfully hard to sit on the sidelines and play the uh, conservation game when we know that that kind of activity is happening out there. Um, now, I was wondering if uh, the Fish and Wildlife Service and uh, Department of Fish and Game have um, approached uh, Northern, um, it's the North Pacific Fisheries Management Council to um, try to uh, help us out here on, on these rivers that are uh, struggling. And um, it's so um, just what are we up against with NPSMC? It seems like um, our uh, concerns are um, like bouncing off a brick wall. So um, that's all I have for now. Thank you for calling. Um, can you elaborate a little bit about uh, what, what he mentioned there? Yeah, this is Kevin. Uh, thank you, Sam. And thank you, David, for uh, bringing up Pollock bycatch. Uh, I've got the numbers for this year, but just a reminder. So in 2007, there was over 120 Chinook salmon bycaught. That was the highest we had seen. Um, these are numbers from NOAA. The fisheries and then it it dropped since then to about twenty thousand per year it's gone up a little bit near forty thousand right now the as of april 16 there's about 5200 chinook salmon that have been caught in that fishery and this is what has been reported um but the fishery is it's a long fishery it's almost 10 months out of the whole year so it's still early uh so these numbers will definitely go up. Um, but one thing I do want to mention is this is something that the um, Fish Commission is really following very heavily. 
and we are trying to push for more uh, people on the council, the North Pacific Fisheries Management Council, and to have two more seats, uh, tribally led seats, hopefully, um, to try to try to push this this council a little bit in our favor because it is like talking to a brick wall, like you had mentioned, David. Uh, this is a very heavily industry-led council in, in a lot of people's opinion, in my personal opinion. So um, they are very tough to deal with. And we're seeing it with halibut fishery, the, the tanner crab, the, the king crab. Those fisheries are, are also fighting this uh, the patrol pollock fishery along with the Chinook salmon, chum salmon fisheries. Um, for chum salmon, I don't know what the numbers are for bycatch for this year, but chum salmon last year for bycatch for Chinook salmon, or for chum salmon was right around, um, it was right around 500,000 for last year, year before that, right around 300,000. Um, that's all. Thank you, David, for that comment. E, uh, do you have anything to add, uh, Mike? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> the Cuscombe River Intertribal Fish Commission wrote to um, uh, Department of um, uh, Commerce and uh, to um, uh, uh, on our uh, position uh, to make sure uh, you know. The Cuscoon River, the um, Yukon River, and the Norton Sound, you know, we're paying a heavy price for restrictions. And uh, so um, all of the um, 115,000 uh, people here, um, um, 115 um, tribes um, have um, um, wrote a letter for uh, consideration for the North Pacific Management Council to have zero tolerance uh, and uh, because um, uh, because of um, um, the um, uh, issues uh, that uh, Norton Sound, Yukon, and the Cusquim are um, um, taken uh, and so, uh, so, so it was rejected. Uh, and um, but uh, Kevin is uh, right for many many years um, as a result of that uh, resolution that uh, Native Village of Unicleet made um, in requesting two tribal seats on the North Pacific Management Council. You know we need to uh, be on the table uh, when they make those decisions because we're paying a heavy price for it on the rivers and uh, so I just wanted to mention that um, um, uh, for um, you know what's happening to our rivers and we're paying the heavy price. Kevin? Yeah if I could just add a little bit Mike had brought up something that was that um, I just want to elaborate a little bit and it's this this consortium that he's talking about, so the AYK Tribal Consortium, the Arctic Yukon Kuskokwim Tribal Consortium. And um, I want to talk to, I mean, somebody, Joe brought this up, a standing together, and this is a good example of, 
the Fish Commission, Yukon River Fish Commission, the Cuscombe River Intertribal Fish Commission has joined with the AVCP, TCC, and Quaric, uh, what makes 118 tribes. This is what Mike had mentioned. And we are starting to advocate all together, uh, pushing the Area M, pushing the pollock fisheries, pushing um, to try to stand up all together, one voice, and it's powerful. It's 118 tribes. It's almost half the tribes in the whole state of Alaska that are in this consortium. So you guys will probably hear that acronym a little bit more. And um, <coughs> uh, yeah, we're starting to push some more. Thanks. Koyana, uh, boy, do you have anything to add? I, I, I don't really have anything to add. I, I kind of a little bit out of my area of experience, um, but thanks. Yeah. Uh, Oh, what about you? We, yeah, uh, we have another caller, uh, Marcy. Good afternoon. Hey, yeah, good afternoon. I just wanted to put in my two cents to this discussion that you are having. Um, every year, every year, we all are impacted by the issues that are being discussed right now. Many possible reasons have been identified. And isn't it about time that everything that has been identified be seriously looked at? Some don't even need uh, rocket scientists to verify the truth to these things. Some of the reasons for decline can be accurately described through observation, through um, made through all the years. Of, uh, no different from Newton's discovering the law of gravity. He did all that through his observations, and these are some of the things that our people have watched over all these years. And also one of the things um, that I feel is not discussed enough is the closures, especially during the time when the drying season is the most critical. Many women who worked hard to cut the fish have had to throw them away and you guys know something about that disappointment when that has to be done. The heart breaks for many of the women that have to do that because they have to think about their kids and grandchildren and how they will be impacted. So I guess the thing to do is just to really get serious and use every measure to solve some of these um, issues that are being brought up. Um, does anybody have a remark or, or? I, and maybe Nick, um, from a scientist standpoint and from a fisheries biologist standpoint would want to say something too but I, I would just say from my experience that um, 
understanding what's going on with salmon declines is about as close to rocket science as you can get in the science world, in the environmental science world, because so it's it's fairly easy to understand what's going on in freshwater rivers, like up here up the Kuskokwim. We can use weirs. We can actually handle the fish and see them and understand what where they're going, and um, the spawning grounds are fairly easy. But just like with a lot of other marine organisms, like I studied in college, um, the focus tends to be on where it's easy to capture an animal, like it's easy to catch salmon where they return. Out in the Bering Sea, it is difficult, and the scientists out there are doing their best with NOAA, National Marine Fisheries Service, uh, other organizations like that, but it's difficult to understand the habits of um, especially the, the juvenile fish returning to the Bering Sea, and then what's the habitat like out there? Um, it's almost like a different planet, a different world, because the Bering Sea, um, getting to those depths where the fish live, understanding what they're doing is difficult. It's, it's not so hard to catch them or to watch what the trawlers are catching, but to actually understand the ecosystem and the environment out there in the Bering Sea, it's, I think, very close to rocket science. And so uh, it, I wish that we could point our finger to a single issue and just say, that, hey, that's the issue. Let's fix that. But it, it's just not that easy. So, yeah. Mike? Yeah, I'd like to thank um, Marcy for bringing that um, issue up. Um, <coughs> in 2014, um, <coughs> uh, the... Um, after that Chinook crash, um, uh, we had no other choice uh, but to uh, have um, uh, a cap on the Chinook uh, because of the crash. And uh, we went um, to um, an allocation system. Um, we were uh, <coughs> um, allocated um, uh, the proposal by the refuge manager was 3,000 Chinook. Um, and <coughs> and that was um, the um, uh, proposal. But uh, we uh, negotiated at that time um, that, uh, 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 that we upped it to 9,000. And uh, using the 20-year average of um, each community um, along the river. And uh, we um, uh, made a decision uh, that, for instance, Akiak uh, was allocated 300 Chinook. And, um, and we uh, initiated a designated fisherman uh, for that community. And they can uh, uh, get that, uh, get those uh, uh, Chinook salmon in 30 days from June 1 to July 1 and at their own time at, at their own pace so so Akiak uh, took their time from June 1 to June 30 to get that allocation and we were very uh, Akiak was uh, on right on that uh, mark of 300 fish uh, Chinook, and um, but um, uh, the uh <coughs> designated fishermen try to get that um, get those um, Chinook a little bit early on because of the weather situation, 
that Marcy mentioned. Um, when that weather turns to rain in later of June, then some of that fish spoil and um, and she's right, it's very disappointing. And, um, but uh, when we did that, um, um, you know, I think um, uh, there was less spoilage uh, because of no front end closure like we have today. Um, but uh, because of the, um, uh, because of the um, uh, uh, concern for um, uh, those um, uh, king salmon uh, that spawn up uh, river, we have um, uh, initiated um, and agreed to uh, a front end closure from June um, uh, 1 to June 11. And uh, because uh, those first um, kings tend to um, um, go up to um, headwaters in uh, Pitka's Fork and um, other um, around Nikolai, so um, so we initiated that and um, uh, for uh, that, and I think last year's um, uh, schedule uh, was three set net opportunities in uh, until the 9th of June, and we had an opener on June 12th and June 15th, and followed uh, on June 18th or 19th? on the 19th last year. So <coughs> so, um, so we try to um, um, make sure that, um, um, that uh, the, uh, the weather is considered in the decision. Uh, decision. So uh, I thank Marcy for those comments. Mm -hmm. Oyana, uh, do you have anything, Kevin? I have an email that someone Okay, sent. yeah, let's, let's <coughs> go there. Um, hi again, everyone. This is Shelley, and just reading an emailed comment. The, this person says, every community, upper river, lower river, and coastal communities. How proud would our ancestors be if we could come together and do our best and show the world who indigenous people are? Quiana. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have a caller from Akul uh, Good afternoon. Hello. I'm on my birthday line. <laughs> happy Anyways, birthday. Uh, yeah, happy birthday. Anyways, uh, I just tuned into the show and I didn't know there was this going on. Who, who's exactly on your guest, guest list today? Uh, state and Federal Fish and Wildlife at uh, Fish and Game. I have Mike from Fish Commission, and I can't remember. Shelley uh, from Agnubek. Unasu huinga months kumalikun krisak pishaka requestak shaka a tuchtukalanga huani chanim niakum galuni pakan. Um, tokam ay tamakun kingun kutukut. I didn't know there was going to be a show like that today. I thought that today was going to be like another Jumai Hako country hour. Anyways, uh, yes, basically, what I heard so far back in 2011, remember that big giant uh, earthquake in Japan? 
Any mm-hmm. of you guys remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways, uh, when that happened, my altimeter dropped a thousand feet, and that big tsunami happened. Anyways, a few years later, I was watching History Channel on ocean currents, and they just happened to mention that 2011 earthquake, and it said it changed the way the water moves in the Pacific where all the salmon goes. And they're saying that all the fish where they used to go don't go where they go no more. And they go other places now besides our besides our Bering Sea and our rivers anymore. And I think that might be one of the reasons why we don't see kings no kings no more. I remember I tried fishing with a guy, some guy asked me to help him go fishing. I don't see those big, giant, kid-sized kings no more. Just little, tiny, trout-sized ones. And those were the only ones we caught, little trout-sized kings. No big, giant, big-sized, kid, kid, kid-sized no more. I don't know about the uh, mother places surrounding our region, but uh, that's what's been happening here, little fish. Little fish that hit little kings. And I know for a fact the only energy the state's going to do to helping us is to make sure we don't fish during closing hour. That's it. <sighs> they, won't, they won't help. They won't help. It's been a few years, decades in the making. The only energy fishing game in the state does is when it closes, they're going to make sure they don't fish. That's it. Any thoughts on that, you guys? Well, I, I, this is Boyd. I, I I would like to hear what suggestions the caller would have for either the state or the federal. My suggestions to, won't matter. You guys um, say the same okay. thing. We caught so many fish, you can't fish. The only thing you guys will do is make sure we don't fish during closing hours. Only energy. And, uh, yeah, Sam, I was going to ask what suggestions for helping, you know, people, because uh, even though it doesn't maybe seem like it to some people, the, the idea of conservation or protecting salmon is to help. But it, it's... It's not just helping people today, but helping the future generations. So that there's yeah, I heard around. that before. Same, same tune. I mean, we're not going. You guys aren't going to really help. We just make sure we don't fish when it closes. That's what I noticed. And everybody's saying the same thing: trawlers, weather, and uh, bad weather. You know, I guarantee it. Once that. Fishing starts and the show will start again every, what was it, every Tuesday or Thursday. They'll say the same thing over and over. Our politicians won't do anything. Neither will you guys. All right. E, our boy, did you know? I don't know when he's done or not because I, when yeah. I'm speaking, he keeps coming back. So it's great, but I, I was trying to say that um, it'd be great to hear. That's the point of today is a listening session, mm-hmm. you know. And so um, we, 
are spending, you know, um, during the summer and even preseason meeting with the Intertribal Fish Commission, consulting with the state of Alaska, and just talking about what solutions are out there. Um, and, it, um, yeah, what can we do to help? Well, you know, the, the restrictions are really one of our only tools we have. And it, it's sad to say, but that's really all we are doing is really managing how often people fish. Um, I would like to have the authority to do anything about Area M or do anything about Falls Pass or any other place in the Bering Sea, but I don't. I do not have any control, and uh, neither does Intertribal Fish Commission. And I applaud them for, for trying to get influence on those decisions out there. And, and that's what people are trying to do to help. Mm -hmm. uh, do you guys have anything else? <coughs> yeah, I'm going to call it. Yeah, I'm going to call it. 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 I'm Pukta <laughs> down a PUT put Makut restriction at a seek and rita put a mumta. Away to Angleosamni restriction Naronata Anglishogut a sugaluni, a sugaluni a scrap perluni. The Wamai Ukutwani Ukanami to my Noxochi Ranatung Wangutashi Larawa put Ukanani Naksiki Wanguta. Um, Chali, when he, um, Norton Sound, Dami Chali, Ila Puchali, Totten, Ayokre Luting, um, Chali, Mai, Huanguta, um, Koshofagamichali, um, Morris Kluku, Morris Kluki, Makut Knockout Put, um, Kaisnashish Kakun, Nung Naksaram Nasini, Unak Nakshat, Ukutwani, Ping Nakokut, Tawam, um, Stunhwangutas <laughs> Uh, 
confused on that due to um, it was uh, <laughs> um, the up river they were drifting somewhere I, I cannot name but the um, <clears throat> lastly the schedule um, the schedule for this summer it will uh, be like MSGS last year hours of uh, 15 opening time uh, it's not too appropriate uh, um, time because sometimes uh, uh, if it's in the morning uh, opening our boots are uh, high and bright, and we wait for uh, tide to come in, maybe for about four hours. Um, I hope I help you guys uh, take your burden off uh, to have a good intelligent management beginning in June. Guyana, and good afternoon. Bye-bye. My suggestion to you is uh, when you know that there's going to be an opening, anchor your boat uh, so it won't go high and dry. Uh, We have another caller, uh, Noah from Tuluksak. Thank thank you for having me again. I've been listening to the grounds of uh, the Inner Tribal Commission Chairman and the uh, that comes from the state and the Fish and Wildlife. I'll have put inputs and the Fish and Wildlife, Fish and Game, Inner Travel Fish Commission can't do anything about the ocean control. Oh, yeah, Noah, a Bachli Newton, Adam Kalan Kichluden, Bigubta, a Ukutwanilaina put Tamakamangi King out illit Kalakaliko Bigu, Adam Unak Chekamtun. Ah, E. A Ukuka five nine eight five, eight hundred number, nine nine five eight nine five four. Dakut Kalakaluki. Uh, Unakonitusa a pipe suku pack suku pet, a kiguna su, su lutan kiorvikat, yorvikat salib, alai raksunipi konispaka, um, unakonis last hour um, tunkonikki to good, I've got about forty five minutes left, um, sasak, um, suksak, hoka una, a nutan kotentakal ram kchikumaluta pemahui. Ah, uh, the um, 
gwya o wiklw ji gaya gawchdu gwelgeni ochwm clu gaya gawelgeachdaid galchani there was one thing that I wanted to bring up uh, um, article 8 uh, about subsistence and our rights as indigenous people magut um, before subsistence is completely closed, other types of fishing activities have to be closed before before subsistence users. But we are seeing what's happening uh, due to other fisheries in other parts of, of uh, the state, like Area M. That is an interception uh, it's big time. There's no river there. Those fish are bound for somewhere. Um, first caller, Ruth, good afternoon. Yeah, I'm thankful for people that have been calling with lots of wisdom, especially from Scammon Bay and that guy that talked about other things about beaver dams and stuff. They're they're very, very important. You know, it costs a lot of gas and uh, to go fishing below the line. This is uh, how many years we've been doing that. My boys and family members, even it's uh, windy, they would, kind of windy, they would leave way down there past the line so we could get our fish um because we couldn't wait for um to start opening because we didn't catch anything that first time they were open we didn't set net some of us don't set net uh especially when we have working people and um disabled husband um so people that don't have boats can't afford it to go really far. Anyway, um, the, the Bristol Bay has been catching really lots of fish. They they still commercial fish over there, and it's warmer than here. So there are a lot of different factors that were spoken today that that uh, are very uh, important to what the people were talking about the beaver population for sure is uh, uh, letting the freshwater fish uh, you know they block it and the white fish are stuck um, that the white fish has the beaver has something to do with the white fish and uh, I've been talking to my friends I just called and they hardly caught tomcat some people didn't even catch any kidnapped, hardly didn't. But they said there's lots of um, smelts there. You know, when there's a lot of water, the king swim. The ones that swim using the current way deep there where no one can catch them, even the net. They go up right along, just after the smelts go in, 
they go under and the big fish, those are the big fish that swim up way down deep. My dad always told us every single year, he always says that those big fish that are swimming upward right up, right using the main channel at the bottom. When there's a lot of water, we cannot catch those fish. There's, they're way down there. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to get that across. Also, June is drying weather. Uh, when the rain starts to come, some people lost a lot of fish. Uh, so June, we strive for, you know, we push for June because that's when uh, uh, drying weather is. Thank you for taking my call. Get aunt. Uh, another caller, Joe. Good afternoon. Hey, good, uh, how you doing? It's Joe again. Mm-hmm. Uh, that gentleman that talked about that nuclear plant, it was in Hikushima, Japan, when that earthquake happened. That was a nuclear plant that started leaking nuclear waste and uh, nuclear stuff into the ocean. And they couldn't do hardly anything to stop it. And ever since that happened, uh, the temperature of the ocean as we all know it has has the temperature has risen so you know if 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 that's the case uh the Cusco Kum River used to be for fish to come up would be 62 degrees and they'd come in and if it's any hotter they wouldn't come in now a study was done that uh, showing that the Cusco Kumer would get hot at 77 degrees and that keeps the fish from coming into the Cusco Kim, so they're finding colder areas to go and spawn. So, you know, that that uh, nuclear uh, plant in uh, Japan that uh, was affected by the earthquake, it was leaking all that nuclear power and waste into the ocean, and they couldn't do nothing much to stop it. And, and since that happened, we've seen the temperature of the ocean rise in the, in the ocean out there. So that's what that guy was referring to when that nuclear plant got affected by the earthquake so that was the other thing so if if that's the case that's that's part of the problem the solution is we don't control the temperature in the ocean and what mother nature does she's going to do what she does to keep everybody fed and happy and do what we can with what we have so and then, like I mentioned earlier, we had that moose moratorium. Look at all the moose we got now. You don't have to go very far to catch a moose before you have to go all the way up to McGrath, Red Devil, Stony River, or go up to Johnson River and go right to the federal side. Not everybody knows that side, and most of the people that live in the tundra, they go that way because they know that that's the area. So, but uh, anytime we... Um, have a problem, it's always best to look for a solution for to help everybody. You know, we all got to stop playing the blaming game and come find out the uh, problems for all these issues that are causing a species of salmon not to come into the Cuscocum. I remember that one summer it was so hot there was hardly any fish in the water. You couldn't catch even one if you tried to, no matter whether you're in the shallow water or deep water. So the temperature of the water makes a difference. Um, you know, we need to keep that in mind, but, uh, you know, it's something to think about. Uh, there's a cause and an effect, but if that was the case with the nuclear plant in Hikushima, when it, uh, 
spoiled all that uh, nuclear power and waste into the ocean. As we can see, we got more storms than what we normally have. Everybody knows that. It's not hard to figure that out. But anyway, uh, you know, this thing upriver with uh, Donald Gold, they're not putting their way of lifestyle first. They're, they're putting uh, money first, and that's a big problem when you do that. They're not going to feed us when they they destroy our way of life up, you know, up there coming down this way. Are they going to feed us? They won't feed us. We have to suffer along with them because they forgot where they came from. Anyway, that's that's all I got in my mind. Other than that, have a good day. Um, yeah, go ahead. Um, just really quick, thank you, Sam. This is Shelly again. I know that someone had requested um, my cell phone, so you can still text me directly if you have a comment or question. My number is 907-242-5326, and excited to hear from folks. Thank you. Uh, we have another caller, Noah, from Tuluksak. Good afternoon. Yes, uh, thanks for taking my call again. I got con- cut off somehow. Yeah, I understand yeah. that uh, Inter-Tribal Fish Commission and uh, Fish and Game, Fish and Wildlife can't do anything about the trawlers. That's my understanding. Okay, write a resolution coming from 56 people that agree on one resolution discussing of what we're talking about. Include Area M, where the passage is, the intercep- interception, I believe. Out there, when it, they come, they kind of spread out like uh, it was mentioned. To Cuscoquim River and to Yukon and to Northern Sound. Certain species know where they were born. How, how, how we find out is by scent. That's what I believe the fish know where they were hatched by scent. And when they die off, it feeds out the nutrients to surround it. Doesn't contaminate anything. But like speaking of Donald Gold, Red Dog Mine, Nyack, they can affect the fish that has to have. Now, I've heard about fish farm in those down southeast. After that fish farm had started, I started to see fish. When we cut them up, it, some of them shows on the outside. There's something wrong with the fish. Cut it open, eventually there's a pus inside. And it tells me it's not a good consuming fish to eat. Gray spot and the coloration of that fish isn't normal. When I see a healthy fish, real bright orange with uh, whatever blood that it has in that fish. And it has a heart that kept it going lives underwater. 
we're trying to preserve it. Am I still on? Yep, a student. Yeah, I thought I was got cut off. But in order to uh, let the Congress recognize if that's what this is all about, 56 religions, uh, agree on one religion that solitary doesn't bind with fish and game, fish and wildlife, in, uh, in a tribal. It has to do with everything what we're talking about. Everybody consumes it. We're not the only native. Other people consume it too. And they kind of preserve it in their own way, which was passed on from their ancestors. Before ever fishing game, fishing wildlife, I used to see their people telling stories of their chief. Those are the ones that used to be the conservatives and pass that history and story to them and it, to me and then next generation. We focus on what we're trying to resolve. Look at every angle. Not just the people that are trying to consume within Kaskukrim, within Yukon, within Northern Sound. They're all trying to survive on it. Learn about it. How that fish comes about. It has a lot of predators when it's young and it grows. Feasibility. That is like eating white fish or big white fish. Where they're going, where they're. I've seen that concept on the report where they're going and where they're eating. All I know, beaver dam might be the cause, but the water rising fall, water rising spring. That's the only time when fish can come out, not be affected by human environment impact, what we had covered. And thank you for this opportunity to speak. Lastly, the one that said us, we all should think about it. We didn't create this fish. One who we had almighty that from Genesis all the way to Revelation. That's the one that created this world, which is in it, and the people with it. Let's try to preserve. Be careful how we're taking. That's how respectful those people were. Because they used to tell about Exactly nothing in this land. No moose, no beaver, no pikes, no white fish, no whatever. Now,
Thank you, Sam. This is Shelley. Um, this person that texted said the subject is about spawning, and their comment is water temperatures in rivers throughout Alaska, including the Kuskokwim, are rising because of climate change, um, similar to some of the other comments we've heard today. Western scientific researchers have found that water temperatures between 62 degrees Fahrenheit and 77 degrees Fahrenheit decrease salmon's ability to swim upriver and reach their spawning grounds. Not sure if any of our experts wanted to comment on that. I know we've talked a little bit about climate change already today. Anything else that folks want to add to that? I think if it's okay with you, yeah. I'd like to yes. I'd like to let Nick um, if he's got any comments on anything because he hasn't been able to speak up. So. Yeah, I, I kind of forgot that he he's not sitting here. So Nick, uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. Um, I'm gonna have to I guess uh, let you know that I've probably been dropped off the call three or four times now, so I missed out on a little bit of uh, what was going on, um, but. I guess my, my comment so far is I really appreciate everybody taking time out of their day to call in and, and provide perspective. And I'm really grateful that Adolf called in and gave his indicators on uh, kind of what he looks at when the, when the salmon runs start coming. Um, so I'll just leave it at that. And I, I think we'll probably spend the last 30 minutes uh, letting the, the community uh, continue to call in. Mm-hmm. Boyd? Yeah. If, I was going to say the same thing that Nick mentioned, that I really appreciate Adolf Lupi's another person that um, always participates every year, has has helped the Intertribal Fish Commission, has helped the working group, and has, has been real thoughtful. And uh, I appreciate those indicators as well. I feel like I got a um, a lesson on traditional knowledge right there with, with what he said. And um, uh, he also 
talked about the the fishing periods and and that's that's kind of comments that we like to hear about is anything that we can do differently you know the time of day that fishing is available um you know we work together with in-season managers from intertribal fish commission with nick from the state state working group and you know um it's about impossible to get everybody to agree but we still just want to hear about um comments like that on how we can improve so uh, that's that's all mm -hmm. mike <clears throat> yeah i think um with the uh, alaska department of fishing games um uh bethel test fishery is um just up the up, up the river from bethel and it has been in operation for a long time and um also, the uh, sonar up below the Quithrook Y is another um, uh, uh, project that uh, we rely on, on um, the amount of fish that are passing through. And uh, so those are the indicators. Um, and also, um, uh, what uh, Ruth mentioned, uh, about going down um, to Quinnahawk to fish early um, below the line. And that's what she mentioned. Um, and it costs, uh, they've been doing that uh, uh, every year, I think. <coughs> but it costs a lot of um, money for gas to go down um, to do that. And not many people can take advantage of that um, uh, gunk stock fish. Uh, and uh, in regards to the non-spawning areas, uh, those the reason why those are open is because they are non-spawning grounds. And uh, the uh, salmon don't go up to spawn in those tributaries or um, those, um, and that's the reason why um, they um, have those lines in the Johnson, in Gallic, in um, Tunt, um, and uh, up the Greek, Chaunuk, um, Machiwik, and some of those sloughs uh, are non-spawning uh, grounds determined, you know, um, but um, they're off the main stem. And um, but I want to make that comment, um, the, the reason why um, those are <coughs> open. Uh, but um, I think uh, <coughs> uh, Noah, uh, my look from Tuluksak, uh, I'm glad he called. And, um, and he, um, um, has um, brought up um, uh, some of those issues out um, that we keep dealing with um, with the high seas and um, and uh, uh, those um, uh, uh, areas that uh, Alaska Department of Fish and Game and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service have no jurisdiction on, including the tribes. They're way out their North Pacific Management Council, Fisheries Management Council, and um, we're not in charge of the area. I am 
but uh, the biologists um, from that area are in charge. But we have no influence whatsoever with those, and that's disappointing. But uh, we need to keep writing letters and um, and keep um, uh, keep the pressure on, so there can be some changes um, uh, down the road. Um, but um, again, um, the Cuscoan Rivers, the Yukon River, and Norton Sound are the ones that are bearing the brunt of uh, conservation. So, Koyan. Mm -hmm. Kevin? Thank you. Uh, we have two callers. Um, and looking at by looking at our time, I would like to give my my uh, my uh, uh, guests here uh, closing remarks. So this will be the last two callers that we will be receiving today. Kwanikwachi Clan and Caller Raman. Good afternoon. Yeah. Good afternoon, Stephen Alexi calling again. Uh, I'll be fast. I forgot to uh, thank Shelley for mentioning. Uh, Let's talk downland site. Everybody can go there and talk about Donlin. Uh Right now, at this point, we're talking about salmon. Last fall, uh, it, after nearly a decade, I traveled upriver with my two boys up to Kashigluk, uh, up the river. And I couldn't even make it up the little Kashigluk. That's, a, I believe, a lost tributary. There was only like uh, parts of it was a foot of foot deep of water, where it used to be two to four four feet of water. So I went up as far as I could. I couldn't even get to uh, the site where Ross Boring used to camp. If you guys remember that old man that used to camp up there by the mouth of Little Gashiglo. I couldn't even reach that spot. So that's the last tributary that spawns. And also Tuluksak uh, River. I used to hear stories from my gra late grandmother as she used to live in Tuluksak. The type of mining they did up there was dredging. And a lot of that river was lost. And under the state of Alaska back in the 30s or 40s, when they barely had regulations, and I fly to Anchorage and I can see it from the sky where that river is practically damaged and no restoration has been done by the state of Alaska. And I believe, uh, you know, we have every say, uh, laws and regulations say no sport fishes or commercial fisheries can happen if subsistence needs cannot be met. That's the state of Alaska, and to Nick, you have every say to call Area M and say we are concerned about the fish returning. Please close down your fisheries until you, you know, such numbers reach here. And as for the feds, we, the feds are higher than the state of Alaska. There are regulations under ANILCA that can protect, and we can also go up to the United Nations if these laws and regulations are not met. Thank you. Yeah. 
Kitikjali, next caller. Good afternoon. Nauka. Dosu. Hi, is it me? Yes. Oh, hi, Waka. Um, Waka, my name is Crystal Lynn Nessisak Scott. I'm the daughter of Carlton and Lucy Coons and one of many great um, granddaughters of uh, the late um, ABCC tribal chief, Joseph Lomak Uyakuk. Um, so, Kuyana, so much for hosting. Um, I'm an Anchorage resident, but I go out and fish and help my parents um, at camp every single summer. And I do want to share that it breaks my heart to see that our traditional diet, and as my mom is getting older, as our elders are getting older, how their need for chums in their diet is essential. And I know that there are, and I'm grateful for, the coverage and protections of the upriver spawning areas. But as we like to protect our children from little beings all the way to eldership, I really feel that we have the right to protect all stages of our salmon. From the spawning grounds all the way out to the ocean and back, we have our traditional and spiritual right to be connecting um, to our salmon. But we also have these provisions in the Magnuson-Stevenson Act and in NILCA, both at the state and federal level. Both governments have failed to heed um, leadership and oversight of the protections. Um, and so I was wondering, what are the next steps that the Intertribal Fishery Council is going to pursue after the denial of the um, National, uh, National Marine Fisheries Service? And you may not be able to answer that, but that's one of my uh, questions. And I have a second question for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Anybody? Yeah, I'll try to. <clears throat> Since Cuscoma River Intertribal Fish Commission was uh, mentioned, and and uh, my um, first cousin uh, Lucy um, is there, and. And Crystal is my niece, <laughs> um, <clears throat> and Joe Lomack is my uncle. So, um, so I just um, uh, with the uh, Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act um, extinguishing the Aboriginal hunting and fishing rights uh, in Anilka Title Eight um, in 1980, supposed to restore uh, the uh, hunting and fishing rights um, that were extinguished. and um, But uh, it was compromised to rural preference. And, um, and we have been um, operating under ANILCA Title VIII. Um, and, um, and that is the current law of the land. And, uh, and that's why uh, we have um, the um, uh, uh, we issue out a special action request every year. ACAC did for a while, but now we really appreciate um, the Fish and Wildlife Service um, issuing uh, emergency special action to federalize the river from the mouth to Antioch. And those are the waters that the federally qualified users can 
um, fish um, uh, in uh, in conservation times, uh, just to make sure that uh, we have sustainability of the salmon into the future. Uh, the state uh, manages uh, when it's federalized from Maniac to Nikolai in the state managed waters. And uh, that is what we're dealing with. Um, and in those state managed waters, um, all of the state residents have the ability to, um, uh, to do the um, fishing um, in uh, those uh, managed waters regardless of where they are uh, from. But um, because of the conservation concerns um, and uh, the need for sustainability of fish, um, um, the Federal Subsistence Board has um, um, given uh, the authority, delegation of authority to uh, the um, uh, refuge manager uh, uh, to um, help um, uh, conservation of uh, Chinook. So, so I think with the um, um, uh, uh, the um, uh, the need for amendments in ANILCA, um, it has to be um, uh, uh, the issue that um, First Alaskans have been discussing the power of um, uh, the um, uh, people here uh, to um, uh, sustain our way of life, and I'm glad you mentioned that. And uh, but uh, I think that's what um, um, uh, uh, the Powell um, uh, has uh, discussed uh, in a tribunal. But um, um, but uh, those are the real issues that we're uh, talking about, and um, and the need um, for our way of life to be respected. And um, so I just try to answer uh, that concern, uh, Crystal. Thanks. Uh, do you have anything else, caller? Is she is she still on the line? Oh, uh, now my now I'm back connected. Mm -hmm. Okay, go ahead. Okay, um, well, thank you for that clarification. Um, I do know it is really difficult to um, try to control what we can and manage what we can on the actual river. But I do want to also state that um, many, as I'm talking to a lot of people about um, what is happening to our rivers. Um, and how it impacts our way of life directly and how I see a lot of fish racks in the summer when they're supposed to be filled or not filled. Um, I know that a lot of people do have data, like our family has been collecting fishery data in our par particular seasonal, I think my dad's calendar goes back to 10 years, even going back from different types. So um, Mike, I'll be supplying that for you once I can get it into a spreadsheet. Um, looking at the waves and time lengths. And I know that's different from um, the run data, um, but it's direct family impact and how much you can see the dip in the impact of the chums and the Chinook um, to my, my family's um, lifestyle. But I do want to say thank you, um, uh, Mike Williams and uh, the 
Kuskokwimmen uh, or tri- uh, Tribal Fishery um, Council for your advocacy. There are many tribal members. I'm I'm tribal member from Akichuk, Achok, and ONC, and we are looking for movement to protect our salmon and protect our way of life. So, Koyana. Koyana, what color gluten? Kwane <laughs> If you can remember, Mike, we only used to set only once for sums, and our fish drying racks would be full back then. Not anymore. It's not like that anymore. And and there's a lot of factors that we have heard today. Uh, climate, uh, other area fishery, uh, longliners, mining, um, beavers, um, I don't know about moose, but uh, I heard something about him. But closing remarks, uh, starting from you, ma'am, and going around. Uh, we got about five minutes left. Um, thank you, Sam, and I'll make this brief. My name is Shelley, and I work for Agnubet Consulting and want to thank um, all YK residents, tribes, communities, and organizations for the honor of helping to facilitate and coordinate this conversation. This overlaps really well with the work that we do in the YK that's uh, broader about comprehensive economic development. And one of the big key strategies in that document that's available on avcp.org that's in that document is about growing your own and what we've heard about uh, co-management or management of the fishery that is driven by and owned by um, tribes and tribal people and tribal indigenous people, I think, is um, a part of that effort. And so would definitely encourage folks to look at that, um, thinking about that in terms of also what Kevin shared with uh, the two positions that the consortium is has uh, requested. It's um, want to be hopeful for that, um, but understand the realities of um, how the universe works. So thank you for the opportunity. Kevin? Thank you, uh, thank you, Sam and KYUK for this opportunity today. This is my first time call, uh, being at the table here. Really enjoyed it. Um, it's, <coughs> it's a marathon, four or five hours, yeah. but we did it. I, thanks everybody for calling in. Really pe- appreciate the comments and these comments do, I wrote uh, notes on every single person who spoke today. And these type of notes I use for writing letters to advocate for what's best for the river what's best for the people. So these, um, we hear you loud and clear. There's gonna be other opportunities like a riverwide call-in that Fish Commission hosts every week. We're gonna start that May 24th at 10 a.m. There's discussion, Sam, I'd like to have with you and Boyd about uh, also the KYUK 
fish talk doing that and starting that up again so there's going to be more opportunities in season for comments like this that we heard today so appreciate everybody thank you thank you looking forward to that mike yeah i'd like to thank you um everyone shelly uh for um uh, making this happen um for the second year and um I too um, join um, Kevin on his comments and um, we look forward in working with the communities and it's an honor to um, represent the 33 federally recognized tribes um, on the Cuscoyne River. And I um, am honored to um, lead the charge and um, uh, at, their, at their call. And, um, <coughs> And I just um, uh, want to thank uh, Alaska Department of Fish and Game, as well as U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service for um, uh, reaching out uh, to all of us to make sure that, um, uh, that we all do the right thing. And, uh, and I know with, with these tough discussions, we're going to do the right thing. And, um, and I'm sure uh, that uh, each issue we're going to have to identify the strengths and the weaknesses in all issues, mm -hmm. including the d issue of Donlan, the strengths and the weaknesses. And so um, we all need to do that. And, um, and um, you know, I just uh, really um, learned a lot today, and thanks to all the callers. Hey, Boyd. Hey, this is, yeah, Boyd again from Yukon Delta. And... I'm just really happy to live and work in a place where people care. You know, people care about fish. They care about the river. I mean, we had all these folks call in today, and they really shared a lot of great ideas and their thoughts. Uh, there's a lot of places in America where people wouldn't do that. They wouldn't call in, and they wouldn't really care about fishing. Or, um, you know, subsistence lifestyle is not even something that they, they know about. So um, it's just really nice to live here and be a part of this. Uh, thanks for hosting Sam appreciate it yeah thank you very much Nick are you still there yes I am with the Department of Fish and Game I just wanted to echo what uh, everybody else around the room has been saying I really appreciate uh, all the work that went in to get uh, coordinated and then all of the people that shared uh, today via email or calling in and um, I guess I just wanted to let people know on the line that you know if something comes up that they have a question that they didn't get answered or they didn't get called in uh, feel free to reach out probably to any of us um, I will put my name out there for sure to, to call us, reach out to us, send us an email, and uh, we can talk to any questions you have. So thank you very much. All right. Um, Chris? Yeah, Koyan and Sam for, for this. Um, I'm looking forward to more fish talks mm. for the rest of the, the season. Um, um, if you... If any one of you would want to get a hold of us, and if you'd rather speak in Yupik, please call me at uh, 543-3151. Um, anybody will answer that call and uh, bring it to my attention, and I'll get, get back to you. Goyana. Five hours. Um, 
Maybe next time eight hours. Yakitaki, Koyanakfa, Pirchi. Do I hear ten? <laughs> <laughs>